Hi, this is Jalen for Dobbs, where tire buying is easy. At GoToDobbs.com, shop brands, sizes, pricing, and our amazing deals. With 40-plus locations, get same-day install. For tires, it's Dobbs. For deals you can use, click on GoToDobbs.com now. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. This is the Character and Smallman podcast, powered by I Promise. Now here's Character and Smallman. Good morning, everyone. Happy Tuesday in St. Louis at 7 o'clock. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Bring the Mr. Fan with you today. Hi, a 97 character in Smallman. Michelle, did you bring your Mr. Fan? My Mr. Fan? Now, you mean a fan that has water that's coming out of it? You're not referring to the fan in a polite and proper way? Correct. Okay. Yes. So the, the Mr. Fan that you can pick up at Walgreens, I think, for $4.99, and it's a water bottle. That you can spray and Wait, it's got a, a. Where do you pick it up? Walgreens? CVS. Forever. Okay, okay. Yeah, you can pick Just it up pretty much anywhere. Cool. But the thing is, you can spray it in your. It's a like. Yeah, and it's a mister. So, mister fan. So, it, it, it blows the water into your face and it keeps you cool. I don't uh, own one. I love those things. But it feels like a necessity on a day like today. Did you use one yesterday when you were out on the golf course at Whitmore Country Club? I did not. We had a great time. At the Folds of Honor Golf Tournament. I did drink a lot of water. I tried to get to a bottle of water a hole, and I think I came pretty close to that, to staying hydrated. I didn't cramp up last night in the middle of the night, which is a positive. That's always a win. Yeah, and had a great time with my friends from Quick Trip, uh, Hank Schwartz and Scott Steckmesser and, and Josh. We had a great time. We played all 18. We didn't win, but we played all 18, and it was fun. Well, that's a victory in itself yeah. yesterday with that heat. Whew. Yeah, so thanks to the, the Quick Trip people. They were great. They really heavily support Folds of Honor, which is a great cause. And we had a good time yesterday at Whitmore, and thanks to all the people out there that welcomed us. The Cardinals had the day off, Michelle. They'll be back in action tonight. 6.45, the first pitch, and the Cardinals will send a Jack Flaherty to the mound against Casey Mize. Flaherty 9-1 and one with a 2.68 earned run average this year. I don't want to get too ahead of ourselves, but it feels like a win day. It kind of does. It feels like a win day. Yeah, and we're fortunate in that we live in a town where we do have win days about half the time. Sometimes people don't have win days very often, Michelle. No, there are franchises that cannot count on a win day, or they don't even want to attempt to try to account on a, t- on a win day. So last night, as an example, the Chicago Cubs, they had lost 13 in a row at home at Wrigley Field. 13. Michelle, the last time the Cubs won at home before last night, and they did win last night. Let's give them credit for that. But the last time they'd won at home, Anthony Rizzo had homered. Javier Baez delivered the walk-off, and Craig Kimbrell picked up the win. That's how long ago it was, and that was July 26th. It had been almost a month since the Cubs won a home game. That's brutal. Yeah, and they beat the Reds that day. This win last night moved them to 55 and 72. And what did they have to do to win? They had to turn to a former Cardinal farmhand. It happens now and then. Uh-huh. Here's the way the Cubs won it. 3-2, runner goes. That's drilled. High and deep right field. Blackman back. Walk it off. 
Rafael Ortega. That's a way to end the streak. Well done. Ortega puts a charge into one to right. Cubs win. Well, there you go. We got the Go Cubs Go song. Do you think some of the fans there forgot what that song sounded like? They probably did. It's been a minute. To their benefit, I would think. <laughs> oh, that's a good song. It's fun. Go Cubs Go. Don't you kind of think about when the Blues were good and Gloria would play yeah. after a win? It's very fun to have a post-win song. Oh, yeah. The, the Cubs like it, I guess. So that's Ortega's seventh home run of the year. The Cubs are doing pretty well with their former Cardinals, right? Patrick Wisdom has 20 home runs. Ortega has seven. Uh, they, they've got some guys in their bullpen that are former Cardinals that are, well, for the Cubs, they're playing pretty well. For the Cubs, yeah. Yeah, so let's let's give a round of applause for the Cubbies today. All right, congratulations, and, and, and Chicago. Fans. Yeah, as I look at the division leaders in the wild card races, I'm not seeing the Cubs. Let me just oh, let's see: Giants, Brewers, Braves, Dodgers, Reds, Padres, Cardinals, Phillies. I'm not seeing the Cubs in there, Michelle. No, they were they're tearing it down to rebuild. This oh. is this is a project. You're not going to see their name in, in the hunt <laughs> for quite some time. That's I, I feel for them. I kind of do. I don't. I kind of do. Yeah. And I know that yeah. we're not supposed to because we're well. in St. Louis and Chicago's our sworn enemy. But it has to be very difficult to watch your team. Yes, I know they won last night. Your team be really bad and watch all of the guys that you loved for so long having success elsewhere. That has, And is that just one? It's several. That has to stink. And if you had kept that group together... They were closer to being good than they were to being bad. Yeah. If you have Bryant and Rizzo and Baez and Jock Peterson and Craig Kimbrell, you're a lot closer to being good than and you Darvish. I was going to say, let's throw Darvish in there. Yeah, you're a cl- lot closer to being good than bad. And that is strictly a situation where that front office just didn't want to go for it anymore. It really makes it all the more impressive to me that the Cardinals, since 1918, which is the last time the Cardinals finished with the worst record in their league. Since that time, and I believe it's two years before that, every single year, every single year since 1918, the Cardinals have had at least one Hall of Famer in uniform every time they've played. Every year. Every year. Every Yeah. So w- whether it was Stan the Man or Pujols, and now you go back to the 70s with Ted, Ted Simmons kind of filled a hole there because Whitey was the only one in 1980. But now you had Ted Simmons, uh, who got traded after 1980. Every single year, the Cardinals have had a Hall of Fame player. Now you likely have Yachty. I would imagine Arenado yep. will get in. Yeah. Anyone else on this team? Not that we know of at the moment. Adam Wainwright will be a Cardinal Hall of Famer. Right, right. But for the National Baseball Hall of Fame, I think it's pretty safe that Yachty's going to get in. And I think there's a really good chance for Arenado to get in. So from that perspective, and Bill DeWitt talks about how he likes having stars on the team. Yeah. Do the Cubs have a Hall of Famer on their team right now? No. Maybe Bryant or Rizzo or Baez made it so they can say they had him this year. But there have been a lot of years when the Cubs did not have a Hall of Fame player on their team. Yeah, that's a tough pill to swallow. Or manager. That's one of the other things that we've had, whether it was Whitey or Tony or Red. We, we had a long time with Hall of Fame managers. Joe Torrey. Joe Torrey. Long time with Hall of Fame managers, too. We've been pretty lucky. 
We have, which is why when the Cardinals are in the state that they're in right now, we're miserable because we're used to having excellence surrounding us. We're used to talking to a team that's not only a for sure playoff team, but someone or a group of people that you're looking at to potentially win the World Series. So when you're in the hunt and you're four and a half games out and the second wild card doesn't inspire a lot of excitement here in St. Louis. It, It is remarkable that you can have a franchise that has a history that allows people to be furious when you're talking about only making the playoffs. Yeah, which is where we're at right now. Yeah. People don't want to go to games. People don't like watching this team. They think they're boring. And they're about to have a stretch where they're going to face some winning teams and they they have a chance to get in. And I would think that watching Adam Wainwright do what he's doing, watching Yadier Molina still have the birds on the bat, Nolan Arenado, who we were all so excited for, is still playing. Jack Flaherty is back. I think there's a lot of reasons to go to the ballpark, but I understand why why other people might not want to. Yep. There are different circumstances for everyone, but it's just a very strange time in St. Louis because coming out of this pandemic and reading all of the texts and emails and listening to all the mic drops that we got during that time mm-hmm. of people talking about how desperately they missed the ballpark and how desperate they were to see Cardinal baseball in person, I would have just thought that we would have seen more people people out there that's all and i I do agree with you that the covid has something to do with sure yeah all right michelle uh roger goodell who is just a guy that you implicitly trust if you're a st louis sports fan is back at it in buffalo yesterday at the jim kelly golf tournament he said that the city of buffalo and the state are going to have to decide if they want a team but he did say much to the delight, I'm sure, of Buffalo fans, you've got to think long-term here. We're focused on keeping the Bills in Buffalo in a new stadium, in a public-private partnership. That's what this is all about, and that's what we're focusing on. Sounds familiar. It does. Yeah. Well, it does, doesn't it? Yeah, sounds really familiar. (laughs) The only difference is the idea of public-private partnership was never brought up for St. Louis, and when presented a public-private partnership, Roger Goodell summarily said, nope, not good enough for us. We want to go all in on our own in Los Angeles. We just want to have a 100% privately financed facility in L.A. rather than take the public money from St. Louis. When he did that, when Roger Goodell said, and the league said, yeah, we don't uh, we don't need public money anymore from St. Louis. They were telling every community we don't need public any money anymore. They have enough. They, they, that's a he wants it to be a twenty five billion dollar a year industry. And right now it's a nearly a twenty billion dollar a year industry. They can afford to build their own damn stadium in Buffalo. They don't need public help. And they've said that with their actions in St. Louis. Yeah, don't you think that if you were any other city and Roger Goodell talked about this, that you would point to St. Louis and you would say, well, you didn't want public money there. You're a politician. Yeah. That's what you say. And here's another thing about Buffalo. I don't know what the alternative is. So if I were New York and Buffalo, I'd call their bluff and say, fine, you're going to go to London? What are you going to do? What, what? You aren't going to St. Louis. No. So what market are you going to that's better than Buffalo? Yeah, do you think London's the carrot? Because L.A. was the carrot for St. Yeah. Louis to, for them to at least try to get a viable stadium option here, even right. though knowing the entire time it was just a farce. But London was the carrot for the NFL. What, what is that now? Is I, it London? Because I, I don't yeah. think that seems like a smart decision. I don't think there is a leverage city in America, at least, 
for the NFL. I know that uh, who somebody was talking about Austin. Who was it a couple weeks ago that was talking about the Was it Buffalo? Yeah, it was Austin. Jerry Jones and Cal McNair aren't allowing a team in Austin. Yeah, Texas. the commissioner of the NFL is not going to like that. No, exactly. So is it going to be San Antonio? No, for the same reasons. It's not going to be San Antonio. Is it going to be Sacramento? There's no way the Niners are going to allow a team in Sacramento. And there's no way California is building a stadium for a football team. So if I were the city of Buffalo, I would say, okay, well, if you don't want to be here, you just go to where they're going to build you a stadium. And we know how passionate Bill's Mafia is. Yep. You have people that are going to ride or die for that franchise. They show up. They spend money. I I wouldn't want to take the the Bills out of Buffalo. Goodell is from there. He's from Western New York. Oh, well, let's not forget that Stan Kroenke is from Missouri. Do we think that lineage or do we think that where you're from matters at all? This is business, Randy. I guess so. This is all about money. This is just such a horrible group of people that run this league. And there are some good people. The Rooney family and the Bidwell family are, are decent people. But most of the people, including the Pagula family, the owners of the Bills and the Sabres, they are not decent people at all. And most decent people wouldn't want anything to do with them. Except, I'm sure there's a lot of people, well, I know there's a lot of people in Buffalo this morning saying, yeah, we should give them public money. Because they don't want to lose their team. Right, exactly. And I don't blame them. Because it's a terrible thing to go through. It is. But if you can look at it as we are able to now with cooler heads, you say, fine, go. I'll watch on TV. Yeah, but we're all different people I know after that process. It, it it's brutal. It's absolutely yep. brutal to go through that, especially if you're a fan that has poured in and spent all your money and tied your emotions to that team. You fell in love with the team. You fell in love with the laundry, and then they rip them out of your city. It's terrible. And by the way, it's interesting. It, with Roger Goodell's comments, it's almost like somebody gives him talking points because it's the exact same thing he said about St. Louis. Well, he probably thinks the lawsuit doesn't really matter. We got what we <laughs> wanted. You know, there's a team in L.A. Stan Kroenke funded it. Everything's great. So why can't we use the same playbook? Why can't we run it back? Yeah. You talk about avoiding the public-private partnership. There's going to be no public-private partnership here. The NFL is going to provide money to our governments. It's going to be a one-way street. Hopefully. Fingers <laughs> crossed, Randy. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. We're off and running here on 101 ESPN. Coming up, get your text into the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. We've got a little game of what's better on a Tuesday on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs> Michelle Smallman, Randy Carricker, Emily Butcher is here, and we have a game of What's Better on a Tuesday morning on 101 ESPN. Emily, what do you got for us? From the 618, what's better? Having Yachty back for another year or signing Albert to be the designated hitter if the designated hitter comes back to the National League? I'm just going to go based, taking emotion out of this. I, I think it'll be easier to find a DH than a catcher. And if they can limit Yachty to 100, 110 games, I think having, in terms of trying to win, having Yachty back is better. I agree. I think having Yachty back is better. Also, I'm very torn on the potential Albert Pujols return discussion because while I understand that it would be so exciting to have him back chasing 700 
in St. Louis, it would certainly put a lot of butts in seats. You'd it, think. You would think, and it would be great to have Albert, Yachty, and Wayno all back together. It would be a great story. I still go back to, and he'll be here soon with the Dodgers, so it'll be different, but his return with the Angels was perfect. He got the standing ovation. He hit the home run. All wounds were healed. I don't want the Cardinals to be potentially good next season. And if Albert is there, not be able to fully contribute in the way that we're used to seeing Albert Pujols contribute. And I know that his role would be limited and it would be a a completely different scenario. But I just really want the last real memories that Cardinal fans have of Albert to be when he was dominant. If you have in this day and age, three players, and this is with the knowledge that Wayno has been unbelievable for a couple of years. But if you have a 41, 42-year-old DH and a 39-year-old catcher and a front-of-the-rotation starter that's 40, you aren't winning any World Series. You aren't, those guys aren't playing for spring training and then April, May, June, July, August, September, and then October. It's just not going to happen. Now, yes, you, did you have the Wheeze kids in Philadelphia in the 70s? Yes, but there were a lot of uh, extenuating items that allowed the Wheeze kids to to be better than they probably should have at that age. But that's not going to happen in 2022. So the Cardinals, I believe, would have to make a decision. Do we want to win or do we want to have a uh, back to the future day, back to the future year? From the 636, what's better, watching opposing fans take over the L.A. Coliseum or seeing opposing fans take over Stan's new SoFi Stadium in L.A.? I think it's going to be SoFi. Oh, it has to be SoFi. Yeah. We don't really care about the Coliseum. No. And there were no PSLs at the Coliseum. People are buying PSLs specifically to sell them to out-of-town people, to sell their tickets to out-of-town people in L.A. When the, with SoFi Stadium. And their first games against Chicago on Sunday night? That's not going to be Rams fans. That's going to be 50% Bears fans. I wonder how full it's going to be. That's a good question. I don't know. Because it's the open of the season. It's still a shiny new toy that people will want to check out. There might be intrigue surrounding the team. But as we've seen across the country in every sport, attendance is different. Is, it's not the same as it used to be. Certain places mm-hmm. are still selling out. But I just wonder... If people are spending money on the Lakers and they're maybe spending money on the Dodgers, if going out to Inglewood to see the Rams play the Bears is really worthy of them spending their money, I don't. We'll, we'll find out. And remember, it is Hollywood. There's and, a lot of people with money. And a lot of aspiring actors that want to audition for Fight Club 2. <laughs> <laughs> Am I wrong? Yeah, that was bad. That was bad. It's so funny. A lower level seat. Yeah. So we'll see what happens. But I uh, I don't know. I think that it would be great for that to be opening night and there to be huge chunks of emptiness, of empty yeah. seats in that stadium. And then the fans be louder for the Bears than for the Rams. From the 660, what's better? The Cardinals managed by Tony LaRusa or the Cardinals managed by Whitey Herzog? My opinion, and this is only my opinion, even though Tony wound up with more wins, I thought that Whitey was more creative and was able to win 
without the team procuring tons of great players. Whitey did more with less. And when you look at the team that he won, look at the 82 team where you had traded for Willie McGee. He made his major league debut with the Cardinals. Uh, I guess you had Lonnie and left, but Obergefell had made his major league debut with the Cardinals. You got Ozzy, her and Hernandez had made their major league debuts with the Cardinals. You had a couple of rookie starters. I just think that, and maybe the 87 season is the best for the Cardinals. They had a dozen starting pitchers. They lost their number one starter in John Tudor, and he was still able to find a way despite losing those guys and not adding anybody from the outside, find a way to win. And I just found the brand of baseball more exciting. Yeah, it was definitely exciting. I got to go with Tony, though, and clearly it's the era of baseball I grew up watching, so I have a different viewpoint on it. But I will just never forget, and I feel like have craved since Tony that feeling of those are our guys Mm -hmm. and knowing that everybody in that clubhouse, whether it was game seven of the World Series or July 4th, well, they might be off then, but let's say like July 15th in the middle of the season that the intensity was likely the same mm-hmm. or close to the same. Yeah. And we missed that. It's all Hall of Famer. And you know what Tony brought to those teams is a sense of we're the villain. It was like the Cardinals against the world. And I missed that because, yeah, people still hate the Cardinals now, but not in the manner in which they hated the Cardinals no. when they were Tony La Russa teams. Absolutely. And that's kind of fun to be like, yeah, those are our guys. Don't yeah. mess with us. That was fun. From the 314, what's better? Cardinals signing Corey, Corey Seager this offseason or the Blues trading for Matthew Kachuk next offseason? Oh, Kachuk. Kachuk, for sure. Yeah. yeah. Hometown guy. Yeah. That can be who's, he'll be 24 next offseason. He'll be the face of the franchise for a decade. Yeah, you get that guy. Hometown star, you're right. Could completely shift the trajectory of the Blues. Yep. From the 618, who had a better collegiate career, J.J. Redick or Tyler Hansbrough? Well, I know Michelle's going to go with. I'm not going with Psycho T. We're going with J.J. Redick here. J.J. was great. I'm going to go with Psycho T. So annoying. No disrespect, Tyler. We know that you're from Missouri, but. Seemed like he, the, the team was put on his shoulders more than J.J. Redick's was. And J.J. Redick, great shooter. And did some really great things at Duke, but it just seems to me like the Hansbro had to burden more of the load for his Carolina teams. Just my perception. From the 636, what's better? St. Louis athletes winning a championship elsewhere or playing for their hometown team? Hmm. You know, St. Louis athletes winning elsewhere or playing for their hometown team and not winning? Right. Yes. I, I would say winning a championship is always better. For them. Yeah, wherever you go. But what about for us? Like if... Uh, who? Like if Pat Maroon never won in St. Louis. Right. But he won two elsewhere or three elsewhere. Let's say he won three and one wasn't with the Blues. I don't know. I, I still would always cheer for the St. Louis kid to win regardless of laundry. It would be great if they could play in St. Louis, but... I want them to win. But because, yeah, that's ultimately it. Because we're St. Louis people, we want the, the St. Louis kid to do well. From the 314, what's better as a kid, your birthday or Christmas morning? 
Christmas morning for sure. Mm. As a kid, you've been waiting for so long. You've been being really good because you know Santa's always watching. Mm-hmm. You've made your list. You know he's checked it twice. You've made the cookies. You've put out the milk. You've watched Home Alone. You've slept. And you're just waiting for that moment where you could get up and wake your parents up and go downstairs and see what's up, see what Santa brought. Come on, that's awesome. But on your birthday, you are the center of attention. You get to choose the menu. You get to choose what kind of cake you're going to have. Nobody else is getting presents. Everybody's looking at you opening presents. It is fun to be the center of attention. So I'm going to go birthday. Maybe it's the this is what I asked for aspect of this and you're hoping that you get it Mm -hmm. because sure you probably have a birthday list but it's not the same and just the build up to Christmas is so intense so exciting oh yeah and you're gonna see Santa like you say you've watched Home Alone and if you've if you're a kid that's taken care of by your parents you've watched the year without a Santa Claus a couple of times I've never seen that but I have watched Elf a lot Tony and Robin let's pick it up here What other Christmas movies? The Holiday? Amazing. But I don't think kids are watching The Holiday. What other Christmas movies as a kid? Elf, Home Alone, um... Um, the, like Miracle on 34th Street, the old classics, It's a Wonderful Life, stuff yeah. like that, yeah. Oh, It's a Wonderful Life. Great. But yeah. I always love Christmas with the Cranks. Christmas with the Cranks is Christmas a good one. Christmas Vacation. Yeah. Yeah, see, there's not all these movies around your birthday. <laughs> Thanks, Emily. Thank you. And thanks for your text to the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. Coming up, last week, Steve Cohen, the owner of the Mets, went to Twitter to criticize his team. Would you like the owner of your team, the Cardinals, to do that? That's next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. One, two, three, four. The New York Mets are really struggling after leading the National League East for most of the season, Michelle. They're at 61-63 and 63 now, and third in the NL East, seven games back in the wild card race. Last week, Steve Cohen, the Mets' new owner, took to Twitter, and he said, quote, It's hard to understand how professional hitters can be this unproductive. The best teams have a more disciplined approach. The slugging and OPS numbers don't lie. And over the weekend, Francisco Lindor said, yeah, you're right. Now, am I fielding fine? Yeah, I'm great. Uh, uh, Am I running the bases great? Yeah, but my offense isn't what it should be. As a fan, do you like to see, and we want to hear, have people weigh in on the text line, 65780. You can send us a mic drop. Do you like it when your owner is vocal like that and critical of the players? Well, I do like to hear from the owner. In St. Louis, we had an owner situation where he never was around and never commented on anything, and that's not ideal. But you don't want to have an owner who's tweeting, live tweeting every game and super emotional. You have to find that balance in between. This, I think, is fine for an owner to say because he's the one writing the checks. He's the one that is watching this product underperform, knowing that he's on the hook financially for it. So he's certainly allowed to say whatever he wants. I appreciate Francisco Lindor coming out and saying something, but also, what are you going to say? It's your boss. Are you really going to rip him? Probably not. You know what I mean? Well, you've got a guaranteed $340 million contract, though. True, but it's still your boss. You know, I don't I don't think you want to 
say that that was unwarranted. But I also think this is where it gets a little tricky because I'm sure fans love that. I'm sure fans love to hear the owner complain and tweet just like they do. But you also don't want to say things that are going to upset your players or or maybe cause some sort of drama or consternation within the clubhouse, even if you are the owner. And even though George Steinbrenner, the late George Steinbrenner, succeeded a lot he actually did go through the late 70s and the 80s and until he got suspended by baseball for consorting with uh, nefarious characters uh, until that happened the yankees didn't win again because players didn't want to play for the guy mm-hmm. when uh, he would rip dave winfield and actually he got suspended for trying to dig up dirt on dave winfield he he took shots at Goose Gossage, who uh, after losing a game, they used to allow players to talk between games of a doubleheader. And he went off and he he said, he told the media guys, uh, you're all a bunch of negative blanker blankers. You're just like the fat man. You can write that down. Take it upstairs to the fat man. Speaking of George Steinbrenner, I do think that there is the chance that if a player has a choice between being in a serene environment where the owner isn't jumping all over them publicly publicly on a consistent basis and being in a pressure cooker, I, I think that most players, because of the nature of baseball, would pr- prefer to be in the serene environment. I would I would totally think so, especially baseball, where you it's a long season and you don't want to get too high or too low. You don't want to have your owner criticizing you at certain points. But I also think it's kind of funny because he's the owner. He's at the top of this food chain. So if the professional hitters are this bad, everyone that you're watching is under your employ. Every decision has had to go through you. So whether it's the approach that you're unhappy with or the production or the players, you're the one that brought them in. So if you're tweeting, you don't understand how professional hitters can be this bad. It's your organization. You are the architect behind this, especially Steve Cohen, who's been very hands on and he was spending a lot of money and going for it. But Sometimes in sports, even though the numbers are there and you think you're making a good decision or a good investment in the player, it doesn't pan out. But at the end of the day, you're the one that signed the checks. And he did tweet, the best teams have a more disciplined approach. So clearly your team is not one of the best teams, but who's at the top of that? Who's at the top of that food chain? You're 100% (laughs) right. And he's got to take some ownership of what the Mets' issues are as well. And by the way, although the offense has been bad, the reason they're in first, not in first place anymore is because Jacob DeGrom got hurt. Right. It has nothing to do with their offense. Their, their place in the standings has everything to do with Carrasco being hurt for most of the year, Syndergaard never coming back, and DeGrom getting hurt. But let's go back to June when the Cardinals' offense was an historically bad mm-hmm. offense and everyone in St. Louis was furious with what they were watching. I think there is a huge chunk of Cardinal Nation that would have been really pleased if Bill DeWitt had a Twitter account. He fired it up and said, what the hell is going on out there? I think mm-hmm. that fans would like to have their owner commiserate with them or at least acknowledge that the product is bad. Do you think that would help in securing Nolan Arenado and having him not opt out? I think for a lot of players, it might be something that they would want to avoid. But look at Jerry Jones, who's the most involved owner that there is. It's not stopping people from going to the Cowboys because they're they're getting the money. A lot of guys are going to go wherever the money is. But who... Who has Jerry Jones ever criticized? What player has he ever criticized? But he's an involved owner that will say things. Yeah, right. I'll stay away from him. But I think <laughs> a lot of players wouldn't because it's still the Cowboys and the check's still clear. At the end of the day, it does come down to money. 
Uh, from the 636, I absolutely don't want the owner getting involved. I've been a Cowboys fan my whole life, and unfortunately, the team I love has an annoying owner in Jerry Jones that knows nothing about football and is a constant distraction. Constant distraction. Would you want that? Imagine, we've been in situations where people in power have taken to Twitter to mm-hmm. to put their every thought out there. And would you really want the, the Cardinals owner to do that? Would you really want Tom Stillman to be tweeting all the time? No, probably not. But the, uh, there are people, though, and I don't know if those people are buying tickets or will be attracted to buy tickets if the owner does tweet, but there are people who do prefer that style of interaction. They, they prefer a more confrontational, they like a more the chaos. angry yeah, a, approach. I would just think that as a fan, you would want your owner to have more of a level head and have more of a calm approach to things. And, you know, this is just one incident from Steve Cohen. We're not saying that he's this way, but I would not want to hear from my owner unless I had to. I would want him to go about his business. And if the team was bad and he was asked about Mm -hmm. it in a press conference or whatever, yeah, go ahead and talk about it. But I just wouldn't want him to feel like he needed to unload all the time on social media. From the 314, are you saying, would I I like Bill DeWitt to be more honest about how his team is playing? Because let's be honest, his team has been playing mediocre for about four years and he hasn't said anything. It's almost like he's okay with being average. So yes, I would love for him to be upset like Steve Cohen. It shows the fans that you care about winning and you won't tolerate mediocrity or an underperforming baseball team. I don't think you need to do it multiple times. Once is enough. That's a good good text. But see, I would rather, instead of him tweeting about it, go out and make some moves. I, I would rather my owner show me how he feels through action and through making moves and signing other players or cutting ties with players who aren't performing rather than tweeting, this sucks. And Hashtag Cardinals. Generally, when we do hear from Bill DeWitt Jr., it's the celebration of opening day. Or it's when they acquire Nolan Arenado or uh, Paul Goldschmidt or sign those guys to extensions. Uh, we aren't going to hear from him when teams are bad. And I I have to believe that players generally prefer it that way. They, they like hearing from the owner when times are good. They hear enough negative stuff when times are bad. I don't think they need, and this is my perception of what players think, they don't need the owner piling on to. When the Blues were in dead last place in 2018-2019, Tom Stillman sat in this studio and he had to answer some tough questions about the construction of the team and why they were underperforming. And he was steadfast in his belief in that team. He said, we put together a good team. We're going to figure out what's going on with them. But I believe in this group of guys. I really do. Mm -hmm. And when he left, I thought, of course he's going to say that. It's his team. But that team went on to win the Stanley Cup because he was calm. He knew that they had to figure some stuff out. And he believed in the product that he put together. And I think that that's one instance. That's one isolated instance where it works out. But I also believe if you don't believe in your product from the top, why should the guys in the clubhouse right. believe things are possible? Or the people that are buying tickets, or right? Or the people that are buying tickets. It all permeates from the top. Now, I'm not saying an owner should go sunshine rainbows all the time. I don't think the owner of the Cubs should come out and say, yeah, we're great. I believe in this group of guys. We know better. But they were honest about their intentions. The Cubs were. We got to tear this down and hopefully we're going to build another World Series champion. This is what we're doing. This is the plan. But I, I do think that if I was a player, like imagine if we're owned by Hubbard Radio. If we pulled up Twitter and the owners of Hubbard were tweeting, wow, 101 ESPN sucks. They suck. It wouldn't make you feel good as a player no. or as an employee. No, you're right.
be pretty funny, though. <laughs> Would we lead the show with it? <laughs> yeah, probably. Countdown until we're getting fired. This one from the 980. And this goes back to what we were talking about earlier, about the expectations of Cardinal fans. I find it funny that Steve Cohen called out his team for playing bad baseball for four months. And here it is. Bill DeWitt's team has been playing below average for four years. And he said nothing. He sits in his luxurious office like nothing's happened. I believe it would show the that he has uh, – it, it would show the court – no fans. He cares about winning championships because the consensus is that the front office just wants to win divisions and see what happens after that. And okay. Well, they're in a hunt for a playoff spot this year. They snuck into the playoffs despite COVID last year, and they were in the NLCS in 2019. So that, to me, is a little bit better than mediocre. Now, is it a whole so. lot better than mediocre? It shows that you're a top 10 team. I would just... I know that there are things that fans are upset about, but let's not forget everything that's happened. Let's not forget that we're stones throw away from the NLCS. Was, did that team get swept? Yes. Did we have a good feeling about that team? No. Did the Cardinals make the playoffs after everything they dealt with last year? Yes. I mean, we are not in a Pittsburgh Pirates situation here, people. No, not at all. We're not We're in, in a Baltimore a, no. Orioles type We're situation in, here. Yeah, it, it definitely could be worse. <laughs> yeah. And I, I'm not saying that we should settle for mediocre either. That's not that's not what I'm saying at all. I am one of those people that thinks if you don't win the World Series, this season feels like a failure because that should always be your ultimate goal. However, I don't think that this team has been below mediocre for the past four or five years. No. It, it's just inaccurate. Well, and that goes back to the expectation because – for a lot of people, the expectation is that the Cardinals are going to play in the World Series every year, which is kind of unrealistic. Not many teams do play. I, don't, I'll, I would venture to say no teams play in the World Series every year. But there is that expectation. There were people that when the Cardinals went to the NLCS in 2011 and 2012 and 2013 and 2014, there were people that were unhappy with that scenario, that the Cardinals didn't win the World Series every year, even though they were in the NLCS every single year. Right. So... For some people, the only way you're going to win is by winning the World Series. And some people are unhappy even with winning the World Series. So you, Some people you just aren't going to be able to satisfy. Some people are just inherently miserable. Yeah, that's right. That's much, and we, we're going to talk about this later. We're going to swing back to this later on in the show. So if you want to drop a mic drop, feel free to do so. The Rhino Shield mic drop feature available with your 101 ESPN app. And we'll take more texts later on in the show as well. Coming up next, though, get your text into the Air Comfort Service text line for Take It or Leave It with Karen. Character and Smallman on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Time for Tioli on 101 ESPN. We got the text from Emily yesterday, and it is happening. Page six reporting that Ben Affleck out with his mother and his son scouting out perhaps engagement rings at Tiffany's in Southern California. Uh, Michelle, take it or leave it. He doesn't need his mom or his son with him. He just needs to get the biggest one they have. I'm going to leave that. He wants to include his family in the special moment. And... I don't think that it's about the size, Randy. I think it's about the thought behind it's it. It's J-Lo. Still. It's all about the ring. It's all about It's all about the size of the ring. Well, I mean, Ben Affleck has a lot of money, so I'm sure he yeah, oh, yeah. can more than afford to get a, a very spectacular he, ring. He can just call Tiffany's and say, hey, 
I'm buying a ring for Jennifer Lopez. What's the biggest one you got? Just send it over. It doesn't even need to go and look. It might not even need to be the biggest one, but maybe the most unique. Most expensive. Most unique. Yeah. You know, he should just shock everyone and just get her a plain band, no diamond. That would be funny. Just go hard left. Yeah. And then that relationship will go the way of the A-Rod relationship in a big hurry. Why, is he going to cheat on her too? Perhaps. I don't think he would do that. Uh, after he has a few, he does. <laughs> Jennifer um, Garner knows. So, Randy, I saw this story in the New York Post yesterday, and it was doing a survey about food and all of the bad stuff that's in food and how it negatively impacts your life, more specifically your duration of life. So this study suggests that eating one hot dog, one hot dog takes 35 minutes off your life. Hmm. Take it or leave it. It's worth it. I'm going to totally take it. Yes. Yeah, it's I've had a lot of minutes taken off my life and uh, I'll have a few more, I'm sure, by the time it ends. So it says a beef hot dog on a bun resulted in about 36 minutes lost of your life, largely due to the detrimental effect of processed meat. Now, here's a positive, though. Peanut butter and jelly sandwiches were associated with an increase of 33 minutes on your life. I'll play for the tie. (laughs) Salted peanuts, baked salmon, rice with beans, and of course, fruits and vegetables also associated with gains. So... If I have a hot dog for lunch and a PBJ for dinner, am I back to basically even? I think you're playing for the tie, yeah. I'm canceling it out. Yeah, that's not a problem at all. But think about that. 36 minutes, essentially, of your life from one food decision. When when it's put in those terms, like imagine if you went to a fast food restaurant and instead of the caloric intake that they have sometimes on the menu, it said how many minutes of your life eating this hamburger and fries is going to take off your life. Would you still do it? I think I might say, pass. Is it worth 35 minutes of my life? I don't know. Joey Chestnut should have died at 25. That's true. So I'm not buying that statistic. I, I understand where they're going. They're trying to get people to not eat hot dogs. That's fine. I won a hot dog eating contest, and I'm still here. And like you say, it's worth it at the end of the day. I didn't say that. I said I might not eat it. 35 minutes? I think I might go with something else. 35 minutes, come on. Give me some lettuce. I'm trying to live. Let me live. So, yeah, you'll you'll have... uh, your knees will be cracking. You'll have a broken hip. But you'll say, but at least I didn't eat that hot dog. Well, that's when I do it is on my deathbed, right? Yeah. Ketchup on one side, mustard on the other. Let's go. Yeah. And then you'll be halfway through and boom, boom, you're out. <laughs> you, you had you had 35 minutes to live and then you eat the hot dog and boom, you're gone. Can you imagine that? If you choke on a hot dog and you find out, well, I had 35 extra minutes. Yeah, can you believe it? I guess you don't find out. No, you would never know you're dead. I was, Emily, what do you got? I was reading that article yesterday and I thought about what if what if you take 35 minutes to eat the hot dog. Does that cancel it out? That's a great, great point. Or you out double then. Double the time. That's true. Yeah. Because it, you're only losing the minutes once it's digested through you. It was making my brain hurt thinking about that. So. Even if it was an hour and I could get a Big Daddy from Woofies, I'd do it. Big Daddy from Woofies is a delicious dog. I've never had it. Mm. What's on it? Uh, Michelle, it's got peppers. It's got... Is it a Chicago style dog? Oh, big time. Okay. Yeah. Yum. So I'll show you a picture. In fact, I'll tweet a picture. Uh, but yeah, it's it's unbelievable. So yeah, I think you got to take advantage of uh, going to Woofies. Here you go. I'm going to walk over and show Michelle this okay, picture. Okay, let's see. Randy's walking over. Oh yeah, it's a Chicago style dog. Looks great. Looks outstanding. 
Yeah, so you've got uh, some pickles, you've got some peppers on there, maybe a little cucumber, tomatoes. Uh, Woofy's an overly great spot. <laughs> All right, from the 636, whoops, I just moved down. I'm sorry, from the 314, take it or leave it. NFL letting players wear whatever number they want is dumb. Oh, Randy. I uh, totally take it. Randy is not pleased. Randy cares about numbers. You can't have linebackers wear. Now, there is a fun part of this that I'll get to in a moment. But you can't have linebackers wearing number one and cornerbacks wearing number one because you don't know what positions. The, the If you're a quarterback, and like Tom Brady talked about this, how do I know what the mic is? Now, that being said, there is something to be said for the idea of a 330-pound defensive tackle wearing a single-digit number, like six. But look pretty funny. Yeah, I like I like that. And they do that in Georgia, like University of Georgia. I remember John Jenkins, I think, wore number six. And that was kind of fun. But that's the only thing they should do. Single digits for giant guys is great. But Patrick Peterson wearing number seven, no. Uh, <laughs> linebackers wearing number 11, no. Don't, not a fan. From the 636, take it or leave it, the longer Zidane Chara goes unsigned, the better the odds he comes to St. Louis. Yeah, I'll take that. I'll take that, too. I would imagine he might expand his list of teams that he would be interested in beyond geography the longer he's out there. He's given the Blues time. And no, the rest of the league is giving the Blues time, obviously, to sign him. But they need to get rid of the Tarasenko money before mm-hmm. they can do it. From the 636, take it or leave it, Yachty will retire after the 2022 season. I think we're going to have to leave this. I'm going to leave it when I see it. I did uh, a hit with ESPN Radio before the Cardinals Brewers game last Wednesday, Wednesday Night Baseball. And they asked me this question and I said, I think that they're going to have to deactivate his key card. Yeah. I think even if they say time is up, he's going to still show up. They're going to have to rip the jersey off of him and deactivate the key card. I agree with you 100%. They might tell him it's over and he's not going to believe them. This is a a man that loves to play baseball and that is going to play as long as possible. So I don't know if if next season will be the end of the road. And I hope that common sense will prevail and that Yachty and the Cardinals can agree on him playing less because his... His insistence, apparently, upon playing is working, I think, to the detriment of the ball club because he's just not as effective when he plays a lot. And especially when you get to this time of year, he'll play tonight and it'll be 94 at game time. And that's just it's not good for anybody. And it's hard for a 39, 40 year old guy to play that much in this environment. Uh, Let me give you his uh, since the all star break. Uh, 263 batting average with a 591 OPS. Five nine, uh, league average is about 730. He's got a 591 OPS. Uh, no homers, 11 RBIs after hitting eight home runs in the first half of the season. Thanks, Emily. Thank you. And thanks for your text to the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. The Detroit Tigers are in town, and their broadcaster, Dan Dickerson, will join us next to talk about what we can expect The Tigers swept the Cardinals last time they played. That's next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Carriker and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. The 1-1. Fly ball, right center. Deep. Got a chance! 500! Miguel Cabrera has done it! 
have been more than 20,000 players in Major League history. Miguel Cabrera has become the 28th to hit 500 home runs. What a moment. It's 8.02 in St. Louis. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Michelle Smallman, Randy Carricker, great to have you with us. And we head to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line and to the voice of the Detroit Tigers, Dan Dickerson, kind enough to join us on this Tuesday morning. Dan, thanks so much for your time this morning. How are you doing? I'm great. How are you guys? Everything's good. Did it seem like an eternity as you waited for Miguel to hit number 500? <laughs> you know, you, you tell yourself, you know, he's averaging a home run about every 30 at-bats this year, so it might be a while. But you anticipate it from the moment he hits 499, you're thinking, well, it could be this at-bat, and of course it could be, and then it just kind of keeps going, and you're, you're like, all right, stay sharp here, and, and you could see that, you know, he wanted to get it done. Uh, it, it did feel like a long time, and I was so happy for him that, uh, you know, to hit that home run and see the smile on his face. You know, it was really neat. He, he got a curtain call in Toronto. <laughs> he was disappointed he didn't hit it at home, but he got the curtain call in Toronto. And I think that really, you know, that, that was a, a really neat moment. That is really special. What was it like for you, Dan, to be a part of that moment? Oh, it's, it's what I really enjoyed, and because we started talking milestones, of course, in spring training going into the year, and we all knew this was, you know, the most possible one first, and then 3,000 is next. When they put the counters up at home, the countdown counters or the count-up counters, however you want to put it, uh, that kind of really brought it home. Uh, they put that up a couple of home stands ago, and he responded in the first game by hitting a couple of home runs. He was five away when they put the counters up. But what it really did, I thought, it just it was neat to be a part of a moment where every time he came to at, an at-bat, fans were standing on their feet when he got to 499. It allowed, I don't know, I, me to just go back over his career and appreciate all that he has done, kind of re-appreciate all that he has done. We know he's done great, and he's a Hall of Famer, but when you really see the names that he's passing on the leaderboards and you really get a chance to talk about them and his place in history, uh, it, I enjoyed every bit of it. I don't think he enjoyed every bit of it <laughs> at the end. I think he just wanted to get it over with. But I think he understood how much fans in Detroit especially have appreciated all that he's meant to this franchise and all he's accomplished in his career. So, Dan, he's at 2,955 hits. There's less than 40 games to go. Do you think he gets to 3,000 this season? I mean, probably not, but would I put it past him? No. Would I put it past him? Like, okay, this is over with. Now let's, let's just get a little tear here. Uh, he's actually been, you know, right up until – Kind of this stretch after 499 with the bat went a little cold. Uh, he'd, he'd been in a really nice stretch. I mean, just the quality at bats that you see. He was kind of chasing earlier and, you know, getting out of the strike zone. And, uh, you know, he had to make some adjustments at age 38. And he, I think he's done it r- remarkably well. So, yeah, probably not. But would I put it past Miguel Cabrera to get 45 hits in, what, 36 games? No. <laughs> Dan Dickerson, the voice of the Tigers, with us on 101 ESPN. And, Dan, before we move on to the ball club, it wasn't too long ago, people our age, maybe 20 years ago, years ago, we would be sitting in a bar trying to think of the 15 or 16 guys that had 500 home runs. During this century, that number has really changed. It's hard to come up with the 28 now. Oh, yeah, I couldn't do it. <laughs> I mean, I've looked at that list a few times. I, I still couldn't do it. No, it's, 
but it, it is it is neat to see his place in history. And you know, he just passed like Frank Robinson uh, on the all-time hits list, and Barry Bonds, and you know, Wee Willie Keeler is next. Yeah, <laughs> and, and, and it was like who? You know, so but you get a chance to review these guys and their careers, and I love that part of it. And Albert Pujol says that, uh, and I'm, I don't know if Albert's being humble here, but you can make the case. Albert says that uh, Miguel Cabrera is the best right-handed hitter he ever saw. Yeah, I think he, I think he is being honest. Albert Pujol obviously was a great hitter. It's just something about everybody who watches Miguel Cabrera, something about that swing that they just, it's a beautiful swing. And we always hear the beautiful swing of the lefties, right? He's got that beautiful swing. And, you know, you read the stories about those who saw him when he was 16, 17 years old, when he was first signed at 16, had that same swing. And let's talk with Austin Jackson who's doing these games with me. Uh, this, these two games, uh, the ex-Tigers, we were having dinner last night. He's like, I always ask Miggy. I say, come on. Give me the secret. What, what's your secret? <laughs> just be like, no, I, I just go up there and I, I just see the ball and hit the ball. And it's That's like, great. come on, give me the. <laughs> I love that. Well, Dan, what has been the secret to the Tigers' success? Because if they can close out August as a winning month, that's four straight winning months in a row. What's been the, the secret to the turnaround? A.J. Hinch. <laughs> he doesn't want to take credit. And, you know, he was asked about this the other day, some of his unconventional moves. But, I mean, truly, he, he has come in, and it, it's just – he always says it's about the players, but the, he had to get the buy-in from the players of what they wanted to do in terms of how they prepared every day and how their approach was going to be, but how they were going to play the game. I mean, it's a lot of work that goes into all of those facets – and the players have absolutely bought in and knew that they had to change because we've been a lot of losing in Detroit in recent years. So, I mean, I, it just goes back to him and his staff and how they have prepared and worked with these guys and really gotten them to believe that on any given day they can beat any team. And that's why the Tigers have played some of their best ball against some of the best teams. And you know, that was a pretty nice series win in, in Toronto over the weekend. It didn't look good on paper going in. Uh, with the pitching matchups, but they found a way to win. But that all goes back to the the way they prepare. But these guys have embraced it. They go out and they believe, and they're getting some great performances out of some some guys you really might not have expected if you're a Tiger fan going in. Whether it's you know Hill, Cameron, and Badu, three young outfielders. Nobody really thought they were going to play a big role in the Tigers this year. Well, they're all playing a big role, and they're all now finally healthy with Badu coming back. So you can go up and down the roster, but. The young pitching, I think, has been phenomenal. You lost two key pitchers in Boyd and Turnbull, you know, a couple of months ago now, and three rookies have been leading this rotation with a couple of guys filling in at the back end, and they've been, the ERAs might not jump out at you as being great, but they've been phenomenal. And, Dan, I I love the way I heard an interview with A.J. last week, and he's given the players a carrot. He said, hey, let's finish in second place. We aren't going to catch the White Sox, but if the Tigers this year, based on what people thought of them before the season started, could finish in second place, that would be quite an accomplishment. It really would. It really would. And he always makes the point. It's not, it's not the ultimate goal, obviously, you know, to get to 500 in second place. But this is, this is how you get to where you want to be. You've got to have your intermediate goal. Intermediate goal, let's get to 500. They really want to get to 500. And then second place, you know, battle with the Indians. Right now, that's an absolute carrot to hold out there. And I think the players just love the challenge and, you know, love the idea of finishing in second. With I don't think too many people had them there at the beginning of the year. So you can accomplish that, and then they, they go into next year 
knowing that all this work that they put in and all the stuff that they learned from AJ and his staff this year are going to serve them very well in, into next year. And you have called a lot of centerpiece quality players on that team, whether it was Cabrera or Martinez or Justin Verlander or Max Scherzer. And it seems like there are a couple of centerpiece type guys on the ra- on the way with Spencer Torkelson and Riley Green. The, the Tigers probably are not far away, are they? Yeah, and I think that that's why this year was so important to see that those guys who were kind of once prospects but had fallen below, a little below on the radar, the Hill, Cameron, Badu trio especially, uh, Badu and or, uh, Cameron and Hill have come up to the system uh, after the trade with Justin Verlander, and then Hill was a pick in 14. You get those guys now as big pieces going forward, and you add – Green and Torkelson. You have to have something here when they get here, right? Mm-hmm. Well, the Tigers are figuring out who is going to be here, and you're going to have some nice veterans in Grossman, Scope, Cabrera, and then these young kids have started to play well this year. They can be here when those younger kids come up. They're going to be here next year at some point, and they're going to be joining a team where it's not going to be expected that they're going to have to carry the offense. I think they will carry the offense in a few years, but they won't be in that position, and that, that's kind of a big deal. Uh, to, to have that kind of a core here when they push to make their way to the major league. Hey, Dan, one more thing, and this is just about perspective, because when the Cardinals went into Detroit several weeks ago, we thought, oh, okay, easy mark, and the Tigers win two against the Cardinals. What's the perception of the Cardinals now? The Tigers come in. How do they feel about playing St. Louis and their chances? Well, I think, you know, they just feel like truly – on the road, they've become a much better road team. They've had a couple of dud road trips. Uh, Minnesota didn't seem to be a favorite place, but they did win a series here last time. So there's been a couple of places, but they've become a much better road team. I think that's always a good sign for a team that's learning how to win, that you're playing well on the road. So, I mean, they're going to – A.J. always makes sure they respect their opponent, and you're going to see, obviously, a couple of really good starters, starting with Flaherty tonight. So they, they just look at it as another challenge more, more than anything. Uh, A.J. always has his keys to, you know, how you win a series. I think he looks at this team probably as a fundamentally sound team. that, And he always pays attention to that. You know, the teams that you can exploit because maybe they're not fundamentally sound, this wouldn't be one of those teams. So you got to play your best ball clean ball that's the you know the goal going into toronto play clean ball and they did when they don't play clean ball it tends to you know lead to sloppy games and comebacks like we saw last thursday with the angels so i would say he probably looked at this as you know tough matchup but again it's the team that's playing well on the road let's see take another series that's that's always the goal dan dickerson great to talk to you enjoy your time here in st louis and hopefully we'll be able to do this again All right. Love coming here and uh, great talking with you guys. Thank you. Take care. That's Dan Dickerson. He is the voice of the Tigers joining us on Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. It is interesting, Michelle, if you look at the the Tigers roster and then you look at the Cardinals roster, Mm -hmm. you'd say, okay, well, the Cardinals, it should be a walkover. But the Cardinals aren't playing to the level of the names on the back of the jerseys. And the Tigers are, are really building a nice unit. And I couldn't agree more. And I told you actually before we started the segment, A.J. Hinch is the reason that they are where they are. Managers can make a difference. Yeah. A good manager can definitely make a difference. And he has there. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. It is 813. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. And oh, by the way, the fast lane headed to Chi-Town at the end of September for a special road trip to Wrigleyville. You could potentially win your way in on the fun, and it will be fun with the fast lane, courtesy of Walter Knoll Florist. Visit any of the Walter Knoll's four area locations now through September 12th. Find the QR code 
in-store and enter to win a free weekend in the Windy City that includes a two-night hotel stay, an invitation to an all-inclusive happy hour party with the Fast Lane in Chicago, a $100 gas card, and more. Get all the details on this special Chicago trip giveaway with Walter Knoll and the Fast Lane now at 101ESPN.com. Coming up, Jaden Schwartz had some really interesting comments for Jeremy Rutherford in a piece at The Athletic. And with the focus on mental health in sports now, we wonder if Schwartz even should have been playing last year. That's next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. You're tuned to Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. And on the heels of so many people being homebound because of the pandemic, the topic of mental health has really come front and center in our country and definitely in sports with what happened with Simone Biles in Tokyo. Kevin Love has had his problems. Multiple baseball players have talked about their mental health and how they want to put more of a focus on it. It's been a situation in football and now in hockey. Michelle, there was a great piece, and we advise people to read it, by Jeremy Rutherford at The Athletic about Jaden Schwartz, who obviously has signed with Seattle. And before last season, his father, Rick, passed away at the age of 59. And Schwartz, he told Jeremy Rutherford, quote, I didn't even know if I was going to come back. This past year was pretty tough on me and my family. I didn't have much motivation to play, and I didn't really have time to train. Back home, everything was closed, and we had to quarantine, and with my dad passing, it was a lot on me. I wasn't in a very good place. It's tough leaving your family and friends behind, not being there for them, and not having time for them to be around me either. And obviously, the Blues lost in the playoffs, and he said... I tried to do everything I could, but mentally and physically, I wasn't where I needed to be. It was the toughest year I've had in my life. I know I didn't finish well with the Blues, and that sucks, but I wasn't mentally ready for an NHL season at all. But I'm doing a lot better now. Mentally, I'm in a better spot. I was able to train, and I feel fresh again. And hockey players are tough, and they're going to play. But you wonder if knowing what Schwartz knows now, if he would have provided a little more time for himself because now he knows that he wasn't ready and couldn't play to the level that uh, that he expects of himself and that we expect of him. It's a very tough situation to be in. He had lost his sister previously, then he loses his dad. As you mentioned, with quarantine, he didn't have access to places and he was stuck at home and wasn't able to train the way that he needed to, physically and mentally not being at 100%. And the fact that knowing that he would have to forfeit millions of dollars if he didn't play, that that was even a consideration for him tells you what sort of place that he was in. And I appreciate so much his transparency about what he was going through because it does humanize these athletes. It's important for us to understand that they are human beings and they deal with things and they deal with pain and mental health, just like you and I, just like everyone else. But I think that at the end of the day, he realized, as he shared with Jeremy Rutherford, that even though he wasn't at 100%, he wanted to be there for his teammates and he knew that his dad would have wanted him to play and his family really wanted him to play or they enjoyed watching him play. And I think that it's a 
says a lot about him as a person that even though he wa- he knew that he wasn't ready, he was going to grind it out to be there for his team because he didn't want to let them down. And I also, also think that this was a great article that Jeremy Rutherford had because it revealed a little bit more behind his decision of why he chose to leave the Blues and go to Seattle. Not only did he want a little bit of a fresh start, but it's a shorter trip for his mom to come mm-hmm. see him in Seattle. It's closer to where they live in Saskatchewan. So I think we always look at things based on the information that we have. And a lot of times that's just the cover of the book. It's, we don't even get deep into the chapters. And I think this past season for Jaden Schwartz and, and everything he dealt with and the reasons behind his decision to leave St. Louis, we got a lot uh, more clarity on what was behind that. Yeah. I, I don't know how often it is, but when players don't perform up to the expectations we have, a lot of times it's just that they're slumping. They aren't as good as they used to be. Sometimes there are extenuating circumstances. And I think we need to be careful when we say, oh, that guy sucks, because we don't know what's going on in his life. We don't know what he's dealing with. And now we do with Jaden Schwartz. And I do think just kind of pressing the reset button for him after having been here for Mm -hmm. 10 years, getting to a different place, getting to a city that he likes. And he did everything that he could here. He won the Stanley Cup with the the Blues. He was a productive player for a long time. And the Blues have effectively replaced him with Brandon Saad. And they hope that Saad is able to do what Jaden Schwartz did. Jaden Schwartz is a great all-around hockey player, and he'll help Seattle And I think it's good for him to be in a situation where he can just kind of take a deep breath and he doesn't have to concern himself with what happened here, the reaction to his performance last year, and what people think of him. He's able to really forge a new path for himself. Absolutely. I'm, I'm so glad to hear in the article that mentally he feels much better and that physically he's in a better place because he was able to train the way that he needed to. But you're right. The expectations are completely different for him going to an expansion franchise. This is a team that really wanted him. They wanted his not only his play, but what he brings from a leadership perspective and from he's a veteran guy. He's going to a veteran guy who's won, by the way. So he's going to be a valuable resource for them. And the excitement level on a new team is completely different. It's we're building something together. Everything is new. It's from the ground up. It's not the same expectations that are here in St. Louis, which are the Blues have a window to win. And are you going to be able to capitalize on this window? The the pressures and the stressors are completely different. And if having his family closer and having his family be able to come see him play is something that's going to be beneficial from him from a personal and a professional standpoint, then I think it was a great decision for him. I wonder if NFL or NHL teams, I wonder if all sports teams will start to hire mental health coaches. I'd be Uh, surprised if they didn't have them already. Yeah, they're team psychologists, but there is a different aspect to this and just dealing with the day-to-day pressures of being a person, not just being a professional athlete and saying, okay, how do I perform better on the ice, but how do I get back to the person that I want to be mentally. Yeah, because you're never going to be able to change what people say to you. That's on them. They need to do the self-work to realize that there's something going on with them and why they're so hateful and miserable. But you can, especially if you're a professional sports organization with the resources and, and the money available to provide those resources to athletes, get athletes the assistance they need to help them be able to cope with stuff like that, whether it's the loss of a parent or whether it's the fresh that you deal with when you're coming back from an injury 
injury. Th- those are things that take a toll on you mentally, not to mention listening to us critique your performance, reading about yourself or seeing all the terrible things that people will say to you online. It's got to be a very, very different different experience for a player and if you're dealing with just the that's a that's routine stress that you're dealing with as a player and then you have thing, other things going on in your personal life it can be a lot and it can be very hard to focus on your job Michelle along those lines of dealing with the, the critics uh, we get a text from the 314 that says please stop saying at the end of the day it makes me nauseous have you ever had a phrase or a word that makes you physically ill like this person apparently is feeling like throwing up because they don't like at the end of the day said to them? I'm assuming they don't like that because they think of John Mosellock. That might be. Okay. Um, because it has become a bit of a tagline for him, whether he knew it or not. End of the day. Because we've isolated that and made it drop. I don't think think so. I don't think there's something that really... You know what I, you know what I don't like is when people say, I could care less. It's I couldn't, couldn't care couldn't less. Care less if right. you could care less, you're caring less. Exactly. Now... It's I couldn't care less. The question is, though... That bothers me. Does but it, I, I don't want to correct people, though. And... Because then you're the, the grammar police, and I would rather be miserable inside knowing you're saying it wrong than be the grammar police, because everyone hates that person. I just can't think of anything that anybody has ever said. Like I've, I've, I've I, I took a tour of a cheese factory, and that made me nauseous. <laughs> all right. So. Uh, so did I once, and you would think the aroma of cheese would be amazing. Nope. And that you would love it. No, it smells funky in yep. there. Sometimes you get around uh, some of those streets down by the brewery, and uh, as they're making beer, that can make you feel nauseous. Sometimes you eat something that grosses you out, makes you feel nauseous. I've never had. A phrase or a word that made me feel like, oh, I'm going to throw up. I don't. So, uh, so I feel for you that every time you hear us say at the end of the day, it makes you feel nauseous. And we'll we'll make a concerted effort here to not say it because we don't want the people listening to this show to get sick because we said a word or a phrase. OK, we're getting a ton. People hate this. People hate narrative. I understand why you would hate narrative. Mm-hmm. Because I think narrative is something that just kind of gets thrown out there. Yeah, that's just their narrative. <laughs> uh, people hate irregardless. I hate that one, too. Why? Because it's regardless. There is no thing. It's ir- irregardless means it, it. it's not regardless, and it is regardless. Okay, when you say regardless of the circumstances, not irregardless of the circumstances, because if you say irregardless of the cur- circumstances, that means that the regardless doesn't matter. True. Okay, from the 618, I hate when people say wrong place at the wrong time. But that is a, and right place at the right time. That's valid. That's legit. Wrong place at the wrong time does happen. It does, but that's the phrase that they don't like. And if it makes you sick, we feel we feel for you. One more from the 269. I hate when people say, just give me a sec. Say the whole word. Say second. But maybe they're trying to save a second, so they're saying sec. Yeah, just give me a sec. I don't think I ever say that. Do you? Do you say, give me a sec? I might even say, give me a minute or two minutes. I think sometimes we say things and we don't even realize that we're saying them. I wonder if some people realize how often they say like. That happens a lot. Sometimes I wish I had a buzzer and I could buzz every time that someone says like, because I don't even think they realize they're saying like or um or so. We have a lot of, you know, that's a good one. A lot of times people have filler words and that can be annoying. 
That's why you have to stop to sometimes and just pause rather than saying um or you know. Collect your thoughts and give us a two-second pause. Did you find another one that you like? Yeah. From the 636, I hate when people call me buddy. I'm 30. I'm nobody's buddy. That person doesn't remember <laughs> your name. A hundred percent. If he's calling you buddy, if someone is calling you buddy or champ or hey, you, they don't know who you are. They don't. Hey, how you doing, Buster? What's up, sport? Is that you say Buster? <laughs> is that what you do when you don't remember someone's name? What's your go-to? Uh... Sometimes it's dude. Hey, dude. What up, dude? But generally, I just say, hey, how you doing? By the way, we get uh, from the 636. Some guy, I don't know who this was, would be, would always say Marp for a nickname. was always irritating. I guess they're down on BT. Mm. That happens. Hey, we appreciate your text, 65780. Coming up, yes? But he's not carp, because that's Chris There's Carpenter. only one carp, there, baseball Jesus. That's right. There was a carp that preceded Matt Carpenter, so, so you can't call him Carp. I'm sure his teammates sometimes call him Carp, but they didn't play with Chris Carpenter. If we say Carp on the radio, you're thinking that we're talking about Chris Carpenter. 2012, Cardinal Clubhouse. Somebody else, Carp, Chris Carpenter turns around, and that's who you're yelling at. That's right. You're not if, yelling at Marp. If someone says Marp, you know who they're talking yep. about. Chris Carpenter, C-A-R-P, Matt Carpenter, M-A-R-P. Simple. Carp and Marp. That's my narrative. At the end of the day, it's fine. <laughs> Up the fight on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Welcome to the fight on Character and Smallman. In the red corner, average Joe listener. And in the blue corner, the undisputed king of morning drive. Please welcome Randy Kelly. Let's fight on 101 ESPN. It's 837. That time check is brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. And yesterday, Mike took on Randy in the fight, and he beat him 4-2. to two. He got all four correct, so he is back today to defend his title and hopefully win today and get one step closer to the Hall of Fame. Mike, are you with us? Yep. Awesome. Are you ready to take on Randy again today in the fight? Yep. You sound so enthusiastic. Let's get going. Happy 61st, birth, 61st birthday to Hall of Famer Cal Ripken Jr. One of Ripken's nicknames is also a name of one of Marvel's Avengers. Which is it? Is it Hulk, Iron Man, or Captain America? Iron Man. After hitting his milestone 500th career home run on Sunday in Toronto, Miguel Cabrera has a chance to join another exclusive club this season. The 500 home run, 3,000 hit club. Only five players in history have achieved this feat thus far. Hank Aaron, Eddie Murray, Rafael Palmero, Albert Pujols, and who? Is it Barry Bonds, Alex Rodriguez, or Jim Tomey? Ooh, Alex Rodriguez. All right, Mike, who is the Miami Dolphins' all-time passing leader? Is it Ryan Tannehill, Dan Marino, or Bob Greasy? Ooh, I'd have to say... Bob Greasy. And Casey Mize will get the start for the Tigers tonight. Mize was the number one overall draft pick by the Tigers in 2018 out of which school? LSU, Mississippi State, or Auburn? Can you repeat that again, please? Yes. 
Casey Mize will get the start for the Tigers tonight. Mize was the number one overall draft pick by the Tigers in 2018 out of which school? LSU, Mississippi State, or Auburn? I think it was uh, LSU. All right, checking our score. Randy's on his way in. Mike, tell us a little bit about yourself. Where are you from? Um, Bella. Oh, shout out. Me too. Shout out to the 618. What high school did you go to, Mike? East. Oh, nice. Okay. Randy, say hello to Mike. You remember him. He beat you yesterday. He's from Belleville. He went to East. Oh, hey, Mike. Welcome back. Good to have you with us. Hey, Randy. I'm doing good. How about yourself? Everything's terrific. Thank you. Okay, Randy. Ready? Ready. Happy 61st birthday to Hall of Famer Cal Ripken Jr. Hmm. One of Ripken's nicknames is also a name of one of Marvel's Avengers. Which is it? Okay, Cal Ripken's nickname... Uh, is not the Iron Horse. Cal Ripken's nickname. Which one is it? Um, it's slipping my mind here, so I'll do the lifeline. Hulk, Iron Man, Captain America. It's got to be Iron Man. The Iron Horse was Lou Gehrig, so Iron Man, Cal Ripken. After hitting his milestone 500th career home run on Sunday in Toronto, Miguel Cabrera has a chance to join another exclusive club this season, the 500 home run 3,000 hit club. Mm-hmm. Only five players in history have achieved this feat thus far. Hank Aaron, Eddie Murray, Rafael Palmero, Albert Pujols, and who? Okay, so we've got Aaron, Murray, Albert. Who was the fourth one? Rafael Palmero. Palmero. I think it might be Manny Ramirez. I'll go with Manny. Randy, hope you know this one. Who is the Miami Dolphins all-time passing leader? I'm going to say Dan Marino. As a Dolphins show, you should get that correct. Yes. I thought it might be fun to throw in some Dolphins trivia. Dolphins trivia is always great. We need to learn more about our team. Yeah. Casey Mize will get the start for the Tigers tonight. Mm-hmm. Mize was the number one overall pick by the Tigers in 2018 out of which school? Casey Mize, I am going to go with, let's see, 2018. I'm going to go with an SEC school because I'm thinking that he probably played in the SEC. And I'll go with LSU. All right. We have a tie between Mike and Randy. Both of you got two correct, which means we're heading to the tiebreaker. Mike, this is how this is going to work. I'm going to read the tiebreaker question. You're going to get first crack at it. Um, While I'm reading it, Randy's going to write down his answer on a piece of paper on his Edward Jones Dome. Uh, It's not loosely, but we just got notepad on on the notepad there. You're going to get first crack at it, though. We're going to give you about 10 seconds to give us your answer. Then we will reveal what Randy has written down on the notepad. First to get it correct or closest to the pin wins. Are you ready? Yep. All right, Mike, here's the tiebreaker question. Hall of Famer Hughie Jen- Jennings holds the record for most hit by pitches all time in Major League Baseball. How many times was Jennings hit in his 18-year career? Oh. How many times was Jennings hit in his 18-year career? 
Randy is showing me his answer here. Four, um, 425. I think that's too low, but 425. 425. Randy, your answer is? I went with 256. 256. Which one got it correct or was closest to the pin? Emily, ring the bell. The winner and still champion of the fight, Randy Carricker. The fight sponsored by Ryan Kelly and HeroLoan.com. Check out how they help veterans and service members at the new and improved HeroLoan.com. Sorry, Mike. Good fight. Another good fight for me. But Randy was closest to the pin. So Cal Ripken, one of his nicknames is Iron Man. You guys both got that one correct. Only five players in history have achieved the 500 home run, 3,000 hit mark. They're in that club. It's Hank Aaron, Eddie Murray, Rafael Palmero, Albert Pujols, and Alex Rodriguez. Oh, yeah, that's obvious. 3,115 hits, 696 home runs. The Miami Dolphins' all-time passing leader is, of course, Dan the Man Marino, 61,361 yards. And Casey Mize was the number one overall draft pick uh, by the Tigers in 2018 out of Auburn. Uh, SEC? SEC, you were close. Okay, so Hughie Jennings holds the record for most hit by pitches all time in Major League Baseball. He was hit 287 times in his 18-year career. Randy went with 256. Mike went with 425. Randy was closest to the pin. He takes home the victory. Mike, thank you so much for listening. Thanks for playing. Have an awesome rest of your day. Okay, thank you. You guys, too. Thanks, Mike. Good to have you with us on 101 ESPN. Did you have a uh, another text that you wanted to pass along here? Oh, I did. We were talking about things that make us nauseous when yes. people say or that we're bothered by. Mm-hmm. This text from the 314 says, oh, and we talked about how if someone comes up to you and you can't place their name, do you say, hey, champ, how you doing, mm-hmm. bud? What is it? So this guy from the 314 says, I'm a big guy, but I hate it when people call me big guy. I don't refer to people as bald guy or unibrow guy. <laughs> That's a great point. Excellent point, and we never thought about this because I'm sure people casually say to him all the time, he or she all the time, well, he if he's a big guy, all the time, what's up, big guy? Not thinking of it, but how would they respond if he said, hi, unibrow guy? Yeah, that wouldn't be great. I do have a friend that's 6'9", the one I call him big guy all the time or big man. He doesn't appear to be offended. Maybe he is, though. You should have that conversation. Yeah, okay. Maybe he's not pleased that he's so big. We, we, we are a society that needs to care about feelings. We do. Feelings are important. Let's do that. Coming up next on 101 ESPN with Carriker and Smallman, we're going to talk some Cardinal baseball and more with our friend Mike Claiborne. His weekly visit is next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Carriker and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs> The Cardinals were off yesterday. They'll open a two-game series with Detroit tonight at the ballpark. Mike Claiborne will be there for the Cardinal broadcast on KMOX and the Cardinal Network. Mike joins us every Tuesday morning, and he's with us now on the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line on 101 ESPN. Of course, you can also see his great work. Just go to Twitter and follow him on Twitter at ClaibsOnline.com. Claibs, how are you doing this morning? I am doing well. Looking forward to tonight uh, with Detroit rolling in. You know, you, you think about teams like Detroit and Pittsburgh, and you say, ah, yeah, don't worry about it. You know, we can, we can handle them. I don't think we can put ourselves in that position, so I'm just looking forward to seeing good baseball. Should be good pitching tonight. Should be great. Before we get to the game and the series coming up, 
players really value a day off, and you're working as many days as the players. Granted, you aren't playing the game every day. But how important is it to have a day off at this time of year for somebody that is in the traveling party of a baseball team? I think it's real important, and it's great that – you know, they save a lot of the off days for August. You know, the weather and the travel and everything else starts to wear on you. And if you're in a postseason race, um, you know, those days really mean a lot to you. And, and I've always felt like baseball should have set days off. You know, you should be off every Monday or Thursday. Um, and I just think you have a better brand of baseball. I think players will be more rested. I think they'll be more effective. Now, you may have to start the season a little earlier or maybe go a a week longer, but I I think overall that would be a better way to utilize days off and and just know, all right, we're going to be like in the minor leagues. You know, we're going to be off on Monday or we're going to be off on Thursday. And you'd be amazed at what it could do for your pitching staff. Claves, you mentioned the playoff race. The Cardinals are four and a half games out right now of that coveted wild card spot. What do you need to see out of this Cardinals team in order for them to get into that second wild card? Well, I think it's simple. More pitching and timely hitting. If you do those two things, you've got a shot. But the pitching obviously has to be good from start to finish. And when I mean finish, you know, we've had a tough time recently getting those, those last three outs. Um, so I, I think you've got to do that. But we saw this weekend how we just couldn't get a timely hit in, on Friday or Saturday night. So those, those are the two things they've got to be more consistent with. Other than that, you know, they play reasonably clean defense. They, they run the bases well. They do all the other things well. But those two things really stand out. Claims one of the old adages in sports is that you can have a team, but they need to play as well as the, the plate on the back of their jersey. With this club, and granted, there's been a lot of injuries, and the Flaherty injury was big, the the Bader injury was big. But just right now, when you're having the, that series against Pittsburgh that you just had, the series against Milwaukee, are they playing as well as the names on the back of their jerseys? Good question. Um, no, and, and and I think and the reason why I say that is we think Paul DeYoung is better than what he's shown. Okay, we we think Tommy Edmond is a better player than what he's shown, although he's moved around quite a bit. We we think Harrison Bader is the player we saw closer to July than we're seeing in August. You know, and, and those are just some of the guys that I, I think that, you know, you, you feel like, man, we, we got to get more out of them or we just need to be more consistent because I really don't know what their real, their, their final numbers are going to be or something you can pencil in for next year, you know. Are they going to be guys that hit 270 and hit X amount of home runs and drive in X amount of runs? You know, we we still just don't know. And I think we're at the point where at the beginning of the year, I know it was an evaluation year on on some of those guys. And I'd be hard-pressed to think that all of them will be back. I think you probably can pass judgment on some. And I think others, you're going to probably ride it out through the end of the season and then figure out what next. Claves, one guy who's certainly living up to the name on the back of the jersey is Adam Wainwright. He's been unbelievable, uh, his latest masterpiece on Sunday. But he's gone at least seven innings and 14 of 25 starts this season. He now has four starts of eight-plus scoreless innings pitch. It's really remarkable what he's been able to do at this stage of his career. He turns 40 in a couple days. And I was talking about this with Randy yesterday. I feel like in a few years we're going to look back on the past two seasons for Adam Wainwright, and that's going to be one of those remember-when moments in Cardinal history 
I, I agree. And, you know, I think it was like three, maybe four years ago, we were standing on the field at Wrigley Field. It was late in the season. And I said, man, you know, if this is it, I just want to tell you how much I appreciate what you've done and what kind of player you are. And, again, this is like maybe four years ago. And here he is. He's pitching better now than he did then. And, and, you know, when you look at what he's meant to the organization, just his leadership and his class, uh, I agree with you. Um, he, he set a standard that we didn't think was going to be able to take place. But I, I certainly appreciate him. And, you know, Michelle and Randy, he, he's got to come back next year. I mean, he and Yachty have a chance to surpass Bill Freehand and Mickey Lolich as far as battery mates. Um, what happens if Adam Wainwright wins out? Or I think he's got six starts left, maybe seven. What happens if he wins four of the six starts? So now he's at like 183 total victories. Is a 17-win season something that would make him come back? You know, I mean, he's pitched well. I mean, he's got to stay healthy, and obviously the team's got to play well. But we're talking about a guy who can pass, you know, and have the all-time record for most starts with a catcher and also a guy who can get to 200 wins, and it would only be fitting. Now, a lot of things have to happen, but I don't think any of us ever imagined talking about this two years ago. No doubt. And, Claves, when you look at the overall body of work and include the fact that in 2011 he didn't pitch at all, in 2015 he only had seven starts, in 2018 he only had eight starts, he's missed a lot of time with injuries. By all rights, if he would have stayed reasonably healthy, he should be over 200 wins right now. Yeah, no, you're right. And and you know what? He's probably not pitching at this point. Mm -hmm. You know, so I I think obviously missing that time – uh, put some extra pitches on his arm, so and we're we're seeing the fruits of that right now. But it, it's a fast, fantastic story. And oh, by the way, don't remind him he's going to be forty here. So <laughs> no. he, he kind of frowns at that a little bit. But uh, man, I'm, I'm just so happy for him and, and what he means to so many. Hey, the Athletic reported last week that the Cardinals are in negotiations with Yadi on a one-year extension. How should they approach Yadi or Molina in 2022? Because to me, Mike, he he's playing too much, especially in the heat, and it's affecting his performance after the All-Star break. Maybe it's the foot, but it seems to me like a 39-year-old catcher in 2022, it's going to be hard for that guy to play 130, 140 games effectively. Yeah, I think you make a good point. Um, it's got to be... The, 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 the talk that they, they have to have. And so what is that number? Is it 100? Is it 110? And is, is Andrew Kisner the guy? I mean, Andrew Kisner's had his moments this year where when Yachty went down the first time, I thought he did a good job early on, and then he kind of hit the wall. But it's not that he's not prepared. I just think it's something you have to do on a regular basis. But they've got to have the discussion. You know, uh, Herrera is is a year away, okay? So let, let's not think he can walk in next year and take over. But I would say this with regard to him, and he's starting to play well in, in Springfield. I talked to their manager yesterday. The The issue here is with him, when spring training rolls around, he's in the, he's in the big clubhouse. And guess what? The guy who's sitting next to him is Yadier Molina. And he needs to try and absorb as much as he can while he's around Molina because once he's gone, he's gone. So I, I think that it's it's a difficult decision to have, but it's one that's a logical and reasonable one that, that's got to take place as far as how much he plays next year. I could tell from your social media feeds you had a great time at the Hall of Fame induction over the weekend. 
Oh, man, it, it was so much fun. And, and you, you know those guys like I do, Randy, and, and we, we just appreciated how they play the game and how they still maintain contact with St. Louis. And it, it was just good to see. I mean, you know, obviously we see Willie and Ozzie around, but, you know, when you have Scott Rowland coming back or whether it's Vince Coleman or Ray Langford, you know, Jason Isringhausen comes around a little bit more. I mean, those guys all had legitimate impact, and they were good people. Although, I don't think I've ever heard John Tudor talk that much in his entire time <laughs> in St. Louis. I mean, he was saving it for this one day, and he got his money's worth. And you know, he was he was surly. He was. Uh, you know, he didn't have much use for the media, and, and I always wonder what he would be like in this era of social media and, and how things work today. Uh, what kind of soundbite might he might he have been? But uh, he got his money's worth on Saturday, and I couldn't be happier. I think it was during the NLCS in 85, and uh, he he's surrounded by people with microphones, and he grabs somebody's credential that's around their neck with the lanyard and just looks at it and says, what do you need to get one of these things, a driver's license? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. One of the most priceless lines. And, you know, he said it in such a deadpan state yeah. where, you know, they're – you know, he he was saying it just to amuse himself internally. He never showed any emotion after he said it, you know, because he just didn't have any use for him. Now, if you ask him a good question, he'd give you a good answer. Mm-hmm. The unfortunate thing was there weren't as many good questions as he thought there should be. Therefore, he just turned his back on him and, and moved on. And like I said, I'd be interested to see how he would handle things today. We mentioned that people should follow Klaibs online. What do we have coming up this week? Well, we're going to have, obviously, uh, Joe Roderick and Rammer have the daily cards. Rammer also visits with Keith Costas. Uh, Dr. Rick Lehman and I visited with uh, Dr. Caroline Rodriguez. Uh, she's a sports therapist, sports psychologist. And just some interesting things she said on that front with regard to the youth of America and where we're headed as far as kids wanting to play sports compared to having to play sports. And uh, we've got a couple other things up our sleeve. We're going to get into football a little later in the week because it's here. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, whether you like it or not, I don't know how much we learned in the first few weeks of college football or pro football. So Howard Richards is coming on board, and he'll do we huddle up with Howard every week, and we'll have him coming up here fairly soon. Sounds good. Just go to Claves Online. You'll have the Daily Cardinal this afternoon with uh, Rammer and Joe and uh, lunch every day. It's great content, and you'll enjoy it. Claves, always good to talk to you, sir. Thank you very much, and we'll be tuned in tonight. You all have a great rest of your week. Take care. You too. That's our friend Mike Claiborne, and you will hear him on the Cardinal broadcast tonight with Mike Schultz interview and then after the game as well. Coming up next on 101 ESPN, we want to hear from you. Would you like to see Cardinal ownership openly criticize the team on social media when things aren't going great? We'll take some texts. We'll hear some mic drops next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Carriker and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. It is 9.06 in St. Louis. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Michelle and Randy with you. And back on August 18th, last week, the Mets owner, Steve Cohen, tweeted the following. It's hard to understand how professional hitters can be this unproductive. The best teams have a more disciplined approach. The slugging and OPS numbers don't lie. He was saying that about his New York Mets. And we wanted to know if you would like the idea of cardinal ownership or management taking to social media to be more critical of their ball club rather than having 
kind of a sunshine lollipops approach and saying, yeah, we can make the playoffs this year. If they would say, hey, the offense, it's just not happening for Yadier Molina at this stage. It's got to be better. Would you like to see Bill DeWitt Jr. or John Mozeliak or Bill DeWitt III? Would you like to see any of those guys open up on social media and be more critical? Michelle, would you? Would I want the owner to open up on social media and be Mm -hmm. more critical? No, I don't need to hear from my owners on social media. That's okay. Now, I do think that they owe the fans explanations and in press conferences and things, they should have to answer questions at some point before, during, or after the season. But I don't need, whether it's Mr. DeWitt or Mr. Stillman, firing off tweets about the Cardinals. That's not something that's going to motivate me. I Show me you care. Don't tell me you're frustrated or don't tell me that you care. Show me you care by going for it. Well, it would be great for Sports Talk Radio. Oh my gosh, it would be awesome. <laughs> it would be great. I don't think it would be the best team, best thing f- to maintain a quality team. I, I have to believe that that's the sort of thing that will probably caused people to not want to play here. Heck, remember when Albert and his wife said this, they expected Bill DeWitt to turn into some warm, fuzzy, avuncular guy when negotiations were going on and to quit being a businessman. And that's one of the things he loved about Artie Marino was that Artie Marino was, he, he wanted to be Albert's buddy. And it just wasn't going to work that way with Bill DeWitt, who's at his core a businessman, very calculated. And He's not going to do those sorts of things because he knows when to pick his spots. And there's never a spot for an owner to be critical like that of players. Well, compare. let's compare the businessman and the buddy. Which one has had more success? Yeah, that's a great point. Yeah, <laughs> the, the businessman is doing pretty well. And by the way, I think markets probably play a role in it, too. It's going to go over a lot better and differently in New York than St. Louis, right? If George Steinbrenner made an art of blasting his players in the media before there was social media Mm -hmm. in New York, and George Steinbrenner became a famous owner, one of the most famous owners in sports. Did it help him win? A little bit. They won a couple of World Series under his watch. But ultimately, at the end of the day... (laughs) I do think it's best best for owners to be seen and not heard as much. Which is a tricky spot for them to be in because if we're frustrated by the product, imagine how frustrated the person cutting the checks is. I can't imagine what it's like for you to know that you're sinking tens of millions, if not hundreds of millions of dollars into players and you're watching them underperform. It has to be incredibly frustrating for you. And it's the owner's right to speak out on the product, mm-hmm. they own the team. But I also think you get into a very tricky situation because you want to be frustrated about the lack of production coming out of your investment because that's what it is. But you also don't want to be the reason to cause consternation or any sort of problems in the clubhouse because I can't imagine players would be pumped and he didn't call up any players specifically but we've seen when owners get too involved or say things about individual players it doesn't go over well you're contributing to the problem and one other quick point before we get to your text 65780 is that most owners understand that it is a six month season Back in July, Brian Cashman, the pobo for the Yankees, said, hey, what we're seeing here is unacceptable. And Hal Steinbrenner said, hey, he's not in trouble. Cashman's not in trouble. Aaron Boone's not in trouble. 
We just have to be better. And at that point, the Yankees were nine and a half games behind Boston. Well, now the Yankees lead Boston by two and a half, and they're leading the wild card race because they have an understanding that while what they saw in the first half was unacceptable, there was a long way to go. Should we get to some text? Let's do it. A lot of people chiming in on this. Air Comfort Service text line 65780. This one from the 314. It says, Randy Michelle, I don't feel I need to hear Cardinals players criticized by management on social media, but I do feel like Cardinals fans need to feel some sort of urgency from Cardinals management or ownership. You never hear it. You never see it. It's just day by day, the same monotone, everything, and that's so irritating to me and to so many fans. People, the, the main response that I get on social media is that people want accountability, whether that is the management holding players accountable or ownership holding management accountable. They want somebody to be accountable. And perhaps at the end of a season, that is something that you review every year. John Mozeliak is on record as saying he doesn't feel pressure to lose his job after this season. Mm-hmm. And even though the, maybe the Cardinals would have been better off from a publicity standpoint to start this year by saying, hey, we wanted to evaluate our young players last year. We didn't get the chance because we only had 60 games and we were just steamrolled by COVID. So this year is going to be our evaluation year for people like Tyler O'Neill and Justin Williams and Dylan Carlson and Tommy Edmond. So the accountability perhaps should be in 2022. I don't know that that would have gone over well with fans when you say, okay, this is, we are winning the World Series. We probably aren't winning the World Series. We're evaluating this year. But if you read between the lines and if you read Derek Gould and Katie Wu and listen to our shows here, I think you had a pretty good idea of what was happening, right? You just yeah. read between the lines. If you listen to Mo yeah. and read between the lines, you have a pretty good idea. And that's reality. The, mm-hmm. the, A global pandemic happened. The circumstances dictated the approach, right? Everything changed. From the 636, I don't know who owns the Kansas City Chiefs. I don't know who owns the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And I don't know who owns the Milwaukee Bucks. But I do know who owns the Dallas Cowboys, the Washington football team, and the Detroit Lions. That's very well said. Very well said. Let's get a mic drop. And this is John on 101 ESPN. Good morning, Randy. Good morning, Michelle. I would prefer that the St. Louis Cardinal ownership and front office act with dignity and restraint. When I think of the Cardinals, and when everyone thinks of the Cardinals, the first thing that comes to mind is Stan Musial. And how did Stan Musial behave towards people? With class and dignity. Enough said. Great point, and maybe that's the best word. Is The Cardinals are a dignified franchise, and that's the way everybody associated with that franchise should act and generally do act. Right. And by the way, if you don't, Tommy Pham, you're sent packing. Is that why? Part of it. I, I guarantee you that Sports Illustrated article was part of it. And they can say his eyes were an issue and the injury history was an issue. Maybe they played a role. But I refuse to believe that him speaking up in Sports Illustrated didn't play a role in his departure. Because I believe Mr. DeWitt was asked about it and said, oh, that's that's Tommy. We we know his personality. So 
I also though, it's a dignified response. Okay, but that's also again a, a problematic situation because you're there to find players that play well and bring you championships, not players that fit into some mold of class and dignity that you expect them to. And while you would like to have guys like Adam Wainwright, who mm-hmm. who fill every possible bucket, who are an amazing leader and they represent the organization with class and they pour back into the community and they're the face of the franchise and can speak to the media. And oh, by the way, also have provided you with championships and, and exceptional play. You're not going to get that all the time. And sometimes you're going to have to choose. It's going to have to be one or the other. Do you want someone who's outspoken, but maybe can be a super? and help you win championships or do you want someone that's going to be demure and and not give anybody a quote sometimes that perfect scenario is not going to fit and ultimately they're in the entertainment business right and what when he talked it was entertaining and by the way if you want to use hindsight 2020 if they would have not signed dexter fowler and played tommy fam in center field they probably would have been better off in for the last five years right so possibility let's get one more mic drop and this is matt on 101 espn hey good morning everybody um first of all i don't think that ownership or the front office even needs to call out the players or the coaching staff publicly uh they can do that behind closed doors and i I believe they probably do to an extent but i tell you what i would like to see i would like to see mike schilt uh get a little bit more aggressive when it comes to his expectations towards the front office i know tony Larusa wouldn't be shy about that and mike schilt is the kind of guy that can do it in a way that isn't blasting your players um I really I'm disappointed in the front office for not doing more. And that sounds so crazy because I, I realized they got Nolan Arenado. Nolan Arenado is like my favorite player in the major leagues before he came here. But you're telling me they couldn't have done more. This team needed more than him, as good as he is. And really, what this team needs is supplemental players. This team needs a John Jay. This team needs a David Eckstein, a guy that's going to go out there and supplement the talent that they have with consistency. And you're telling me they couldn't find that? You're telling me they couldn't find a more dependable bullpen guy in the offseason? Uh, I don't know. I, I'm just disappointed in them. I, you know, I try to be patient, and I will be patient. But... <laughs> It'd be really nice to be making the playoffs this year, and I'm just not sure it'll happen with this team. I am. <laughs> you, you, you've already said it's not happening. It'd be nice to make the playoffs. We have another text. Oh, we have one a more. ton more. Let's get one more here. From the 314, the owner has invested hundreds of millions of dollars on the team. He should be able to vent his disappointment in the results. I would say so. Thanks very much for your texts. Thanks so much for your mic drops. We do appreciate them. Coming up on 101 ESPN, the Buffalo Bills are dealing with Roger Goodell. Should they trust that guy? It's next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs> January 30th, 2015, Super Bowl press conference, New York. Roger Goodell asked by the media, I believe Sam Farmer of the LA Times, how should the legions of St. Louis Rams fans feel about the fact that Stan Kroenke is so aggressively pursuing the Los Angeles market? And this is what Roger Goodell had to say. 
We should make sure we do what's necessary to continue to support the team locally, which the fans have done in St. Louis, and make sure we can do whatever we can to make sure that team uh, is successful in the St. Louis market. And I'm sure that Roger Goodell and Stan Kroenke absolutely did that, did everything they could to make sure that the franchise was successful in the St. Louis market. Everything possible, exhausted every option. How can you say that with a straight face? Isn't that unbelievable? Unbelievable. (laughs) So yesterday, Roger Goodell was at the Jim Kelly Golf Tournament in Buffalo, New York, and the topic of a new stadium for the Bills came up, and he said, hey, they got to get one. Well, listen, you know, the lease is one part of the issue, but the reality is you have to think long term here. And as I said earlier, this is something that's been going on for decades. Um, And it's time to get a new stadium done that we think can make sure the bills are here and successful for many, many decades going forward. Well, we're focused on keeping the bills here in a new stadium and a public-private partnership. That's what this is all about, and that's where we're focusing. If I'm a Bills fan, I hear that and I think of St. Louis and I think of Oakland and I think of San Diego and I am terrified. And the Pagula family, Goodell brought up a public-private partnership. The Pagula family, the billionaires that own the Bills and the Sabres, have asked for that stadium, a new stadium, to be 100% publicly funded. They have not offered any private funding and like Stan Kroenke here, when he asked for 100% publicly funded improvements to the Dome that weren't forthcoming, that they want to do the same thing. And when a public-private partnership was proposed here in which St. Louis publicly would foot a ton of the bill, Jay Nixon basically used all of his political cachet for state funds. The league and Kroenke said, no, well, we aren't going to participate in a private part of funding this stadium. You can offer a public-private partnership, but the private part isn't coming from me. And then he goes out to L.A. and builds a completely, 100% privately financed stadium. If I'm a Bills fan and I know the history of Roger Goodell, I don't trust him at all. Of course you don't trust him. You don't trust him. You don't trust the league. You know that they're going to do whatever they think is in the best interest of the owner and in the best interest of the league as a whole. And there's an article at ESPN.com about all of this. And the Pagula Sports and Entertainment Group, they have a spokesperson, Jim Wilkinson. And he said this when asked about the stadium. He said, quote, the city of Buffalo and the state are going to have to decide if they want a team. And so to your point about public funding, they're basically saying, give us the money. Money or we're going to leave. That's the threat mm-hmm. that's going to be looming. And I would just be very wary if I was a Bills fan, knowing that even though they have such a passionate fan base and Bills Mafia that shows up, even though they have a team that looks to be really good and they're going to pack the place, um, and I'm sure people are buying merchandise and there's a lot of money that gets generated from a good team. We had bad teams here in St. Louis that still drew, mm-hmm. and it doesn't matter. All that matters is what the owner wants to do and what the commissioner and the other owners are going to allow them to do. Now, I can't imagine, well, this is a pretty stupid league, so I can't imagine that they would have the audacity to try to use St. Louis as leverage, and that'll get shot down in a blink, but can you imagine a source coming out of Buffalo and saying, yeah, well, we'll just move to St. Louis. No chance, right? Well, I imagine they wouldn't use that tactic because they know that within minutes there would be some representative from St. Louis saying, nope, we don't want them. That ain't happening. That, they would shoot that down pretty quickly here in St. Louis, and I'm sure then 
in that statement from whoever it may be in St. Louis, they would bring up the lawsuit Mm -hmm. and say, not only do we not want a team, we are pursuing financial damages towards the league for what they did to our city. So watch out, Buffalo. You could build two stadiums with what we're going to get out of the league. And Goodell was asked more about the future of the Bills and a stadium in Buffalo. I don't know the timeline other than, you know, I know serious discussions are happening now, and I think it's going to take a lot of that. It's going to take a tremendous focus. Uh, We've had a lot of experience around the country in doing these, uh, and they require that public-private partnership and a process where everyone gets to understand what's needed, what's required. It'll have to be something that's built for Buffalo. The same thing that was built in Dallas may not work here in in Buffalo. It's got to fit Buffalo, and I think that's one of the things that the focus has to be on finding solutions for Buffalo and the Bills so that they can continue to be successful here in Western New York. Don't trust Roger Goodell. Everything he's saying, we've heard it. Exact same, verbatim. The the exact same stuff before. Now, do you really think, like in their hearts of hearts, we knew that the NFL did not want to keep the Rams in St. Louis. No matter what St. Louis did, they wanted L.A. L.A. was the carrot. L.A. was the prize. And the fact that Stan Kroenke was going to fund it out of his pocket, it, St. Louis was a casualty. We did not matter. Um, is there a big enough opportunity elsewhere for them to really consider moving the bills out of Buffalo? I don't see it. Austin came up a couple of weeks ago. That's going to be a non-starter for the Cowboys and the Texans. San Antonio has come up previously for the Raiders. That was a non-starter. Vegas isn't there anymore. That's the one state where they generate enough income from visitors where they could have done it. You aren't putting a fourth team in Florida. Sacramento, the, the 49ers aren't going to allow a team in Sacramento. I don't know what market they could possibly go to. Unless they go to the Inland Empire, out just outside of L.A., but that hasn't gone over very well in trying to get fans to come to games in Southern California. I wouldn't imagine. My, my initial thought is there a city in SEC country that they could use as a threat because you'd have to it have to be somewhere where football is everything because London is always on the table but I don't see that working for so many reasons I agree with you and if somebody was going to do it you would assume it would be Shad Khan who obviously has a lot of experience dealing with London um I just is is Canada an option maybe Toronto is yeah Toronto is Toronto is Canada going to build a stadium for the Buffalo Bills that is sufficient for them. I don't I don't see the city of Toronto and I know that they're talking about building and upgrading Rogers Center for the Blue Jays with some pu- private investment there too. I don't know if they would want to do that. And by the way, this TV contract is a US TV contract. The US doesn't get any credit for eyes in Canada that watch NFL games. Also they- is there an appetite for the for yeah, the National Football question. League in, Can- in Canada? I have so, no idea. I kind of think they're blocked in, and I think they're playing here. They're they're trying to play cards that they really that aren't that good. They're playing a two and a five right now. It's obviously a veiled threat towards the city of Buffalo, but mm-hmm. L.A., with L.A. off the board, it really seems like the NFL's kind of backed into a corner. And with the fact that Stan Kroenke did fund it himself, I think that the NFL owners are in kind of a, a different here when they want to demand cities to give them public funding for these new stadiums. It's pretty weird when you can say Roger Goodell is the worst and he's really not. He's he's like third worst, right? Maybe fourth in that league. In this equation? Yeah, well, with Kroenke, Jerry Jones, Demoff, he's at worst, fourth worst, right? Maybe 
there's people that so are. So you're putting Kroenke number one. You're putting Jerry Jones number two. Demoff number three. Yeah. Roger Goodell number four. Fair. Hmm. Well, Goodell works for the owner, so he's just doing his job, yeah. right? Kevin, Jerry, Jerry Pagula's right up there, by the way. Yeah. Uh, but you could make the same argument towards Kevin Demoff. He was just doing his job. Yeah, but it was just so blatant. I mean. Well, Rod, we just heard how many times Roger Goodell lied. Yeah, I know. that's <laughs> You know what I mean? So they're you, amazing. They're kind of tied, right? <laughs> they're on the same level. Tied for first. All of them tied for first. Hey, join the 101 uh, Bomberito Street Fleet this Friday from 6 to 8 at Hotshot South County for the Michelob Ultra Putter Challenge. It's a free-to-play indoor golf game where you can score prizes and win Mick Ultra swag, plus your chance to win a trip for two to this year's Ryder Cup next month in Wisconsin. Don't miss out Friday, 6 to 8 with 101 ESPN at the Hotshots in South County. Get all the details on the Michelob Ultra Putter Challenge at 101ESPN.com. You're killing me, Smalls. Coming your way on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. And at the conclusion of your Killing Me Smalls 101 ESPN, Character and Smallman will provide you a chance to win a free pair of tickets to Dead and Company on September 13th at Hollywood Casino Amphitheater. Now, this is not the Grateful Dead because Jerry Garcia is, well, He's dead. So you can't get tickets for the Grateful Dead, but Dead and Company, which does a lot of Grateful Dead stuff, tickets on sale now. And uh, we're going to give away a pair here at the end of this spectacular segment. You're killing me, Smalls. Okay, Randy, so I need a ruling from you on this situation. So recently there was uh, a game, an Akron Rubber Ducks game, which is the AA affiliate of Cleveland. And everyone was having a great night at Canal Park. There was a little over 3,000 people there, actually official attendance that night, 3,160 people. And there were fan shout-outs that were flashing on the Jumbotron. And this one popped up. It said, Alyssa, this relationship is over. Tim in all caps. So over 3,000 people seeing that Tim breaking up with Alyssa live at the ballpark. So I need uh, an Uncle Randy ruling here. Was this an effective way for Tim to dump Alyssa or was this just super lame? It's kind of mean, but if we're going to have proposals on the big screen, then we should be allowed to have breakups on the big screen. So I am going to rule in favor of this being just fine. But how awkward if the couple is there and then you break up with her and you have to sit there for the rest of the game. This happened in, I think it was in the eighth inning. Close enough to the end. But then you probably have to ride home together. Probably not. Somebody got an Uber. (laughs) Somebody got an Uber, right? (laughs) Somebody did get an Uber. Yeah. And the thing is, at least he didn't do it by text. He was creative. But what if Alyssa was in the bathroom at that time and she missed it? She thinks they're still going out. She's good. <laughs> I just can imagine sitting there. You're Alyssa. You're having a great time. You're you're just casually looking at the jumbo trying and you're thinking, is that me? Am I the Alyssa and Tim that's on the Jumbotron? <laughs> or is this, are there another Alyssa and Tim here in the audience? Do you ask if you're Alyssa and you're yeah. and Tim sitting to your right? Are you like, is that you? Did you text that to the Jumbotron? Very creative. I'm giving him credit for creativity. A plus for creativity. That's a good way to break up. I think that's so lame. Do you really? Oh, grow up. 
Just have the convo. Although you're completely against the idea of the proposal on the big screen, too. On the not, Jumbotron. Just for me personally. Just for me personally. Yeah. You know, I ugly cry, so no thank you. Would not want all of the people. I wouldn't want all 3,160 people at Canal Park to see me ugly cry in the Jumbotron. That's just me. A lot of people have great memories tied to sports, and they want to propose to their loved one on the on the Jumbotron. Emily. There was another one at the Reds game that was, uh, Caitlin, I was wrong. Talk to me. Tom. Now, see, that I think is better because that is a big dramatic gesture trying to get Caitlyn back. That's an apology. This is a breakup. If I'm Caitlyn, I'm at the Reds game. I'm like, okay, fine. I'll talk to you. Sure. But if you're Alyssa. I'm getting the Uber. Yeah, you're getting the Uber. I think this was a lame move by Tim. Grow up. Have the adult conversation face-to-face. Don't let the Jumbotron do your work for you. But here's the thing. Alyssa can go to work the next day and tell this story. It's the most spectacular breakup ever. Yeah, can you imagine going to the work the next morning? You're drinking your coffee, your coworkers. Hey, how was the Rubber Ducks game last night? I heard it was fun. Actually, the uh, the Rubber Ducks defeated the Senators 11-2 to that <laughs> night. So I'm sure... She's saying it was bad. We broke up. The Rubber Ducks game was lit. No, actually, it's, it was awful. Tim dumped me. How, you, really? How do you do it? What do you do? At a game? On the Jumbotron. <laughs> if you're Alyssa, do you try to take a picture of the Jumbotron yes, as totally. evidence to your friends that you got dumped via, via Jumbotron at the Rubber Ducks game? Yeah, it's a story that she can tell forever. I think I might tweet it out and say, well, I'm back on the market. <laughs> right. <laughs> You're killing me, Smalls. Okay, so everybody's wondering when Tom Brady may call it quits. Previously, he said he wanted to play until he was 45, so that would be two more seasons because he's 44, right? Well, technically, I guess he could play through this. No, it would have to be next year, Mm -hmm. this season and next year, because he turned 44 on August 3rd. And he recently had a conversation with Peter King about that impending retirement and what age he might be considering. And he said, I'll know when the time is right. If I can't, if I'm not a championship-level quarterback— then I'm not going to play. If I'm a liability to the team, I mean, no way. But if I think I can win a championship, then I'll play. 50? He he played the entire year last year with a torn MCL, still ended up winning the Super Bowl. It looks like they're primed to run it back. Mm-hmm. So I think 45 is on the table. I think 46 is, even if they make a deep run into the playoffs and don't win the Super Bowl, I imagine 46 is on the table, no? It has to be. Yeah. I was, by the way, my friend Big Frank was at a sports convention and there was a stack of TB12 books for two bucks a piece. And so he got me one. Oh, nice. So I've got a TB12 book to read. Is this about the method? Everything. Yeah, it's got the method. It's got everything. So it's going to be great. Please read it. Remember I'll, when I'll we had no sports? Back. I'll do a book report. Remember when we had no sports and we did Character and Spalman Book Club? Yep. That would have been a good read. Mm-hmm. The TB12 method. Thanks, Michelle. You're welcome. Hey, we want you to win tickets for Dead and Company, September 13th at Hollywood Casino Amphitheater. Tickets for the show are on sale now, and you can find a bo- find a bonus chance to win free tickets for Dead and Company right now at 101ESPN.com and on your 101 mobile app. But don't go there before you text in this answer. Who was the team executive that tweeted that his players weren't performing as well as they should. 
We've talked about it a couple times this morning. Who was the team executive who is in charge of the team that made that tweet? And if you text in to 65780 and your texter number 101, 101 ESPN, get it, you will win tickets to Dead & Company September 13th at Hollywood Casino Amphitheater. Who was the executive, team executive that tweeted, hey, our players aren't playing as well as they should. I can't believe they're not performing to a higher level. We will tell you who our winner is coming up next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Congratulations to Brad, who is from Wentzville. He's going to Dead & Company September 23rd at Hollywood Casino Amphitheater. He knew that it was Steve Cohen that tweeted about his team that uh, wasn't hitting as well as he wanted them to. And we talked about that a couple of times this morning. So, Brad in Wentzville, you're headed to Dead & Company. It's a uh, Grateful Dead group, and uh, you will have an opportunity to see that. They aren't dead. They're alive, but they'll be singing at Hollywood Casino Amphitheater. Dan Ma- Danny Mac, the Danny Mac Show is coming up here. On we had uh, Grateful Dead Night on this homestand. I, be- I think it was, yeah, it was this, uh, maybe it was Friday or Thursday. It was recently, yeah. Tie-dye yeah. shirts yeah. and everything? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Was Jerry Garcia there? As you know, Randall, uh, I don't believe he's still among us, but... Oh. Um, Have you ever had Cherry Garcia ice cream? No, ben but I heard Jerry's? it's good. It's good. No. I uh, well, you're making me think about the other day, and up on the video board, they put the uh, pictures of the 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 batter that would come up. Normally, just a you know a shot of them in their uniform. They had them in tie dye. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's great. Yeah, I remember seeing. I think it was Paul DeYoung in tie dye. It was it was unique. <laughs> what a sight! This is a great transition. Dan, yeah. are, are you a deadhead? I am not a. I enjoy the Grateful Dead. I'm just not as. Uh, Invested, I guess, as others are. I think Jake's leg is a very uh, locally a very big uh, uh, dead tribute band, mm-hmm. and I think they played uh, they played the last few dead nights at uh, the ballpark. I enjoy the Grateful Dead. Um, I'll listen to them, but I'm not as invested as maybe others. I did make a comment the other day. <laughs> What are you guys looking at? <laughs> I'm just thinking about either one of you going to a Grateful Dead show wearing tie-dye, just getting in the moment. I would love to see that. Well, I, I can't said, picture you in tie-dye, Dan. I, I did say the other day, and I think it flew over the audience of some, or some in the audience, I should say. It, it was on this homestand because I was with Ricky, and Ricky did point out, I'm, now it's all coming back. And Ricky <laughs> pointed out, he said, hey, look at the Paul DeYoung thing. And I said, oh, yeah, it's Grateful Dead night. I said, I did... Um, Notice a unique smell here at the ballpark. <laughs> and then I said, you know, hot dogs, Cracker Jacks, sure. you know, the normal things that you have. Right. When you come to the ballpark. Michelle informed me this morning that for every hot dog consumed, it takes 35 minutes off of your life in your lifetime. Hey, they were talking about you uh, at the end. <laughs> so I was driving down to do an event last night at the ballpark. And we're going to get to that in a moment. And they were talking about you and hot dogs. Yeah. What, what's it, what's going on? I won a hot dog eating contest in my history. Did you really? At Woofie's Hot Dogs, yeah. Were you like Kobayashi? No, I I think they gave us a half hour, and I ate six Big Daddies. So it wasn't oh, like, like you were dunking them into the water and oh, shoving no, uh, them down? No. Okay, this is just like normal consumption, yeah. but you just ate a lot of them. There might be 
and I haven't been to Woofie's. I need to stop by. There still may be a picture of like a 23-year-old Randy. Seriously? At Woofie's, yeah. Where's Woofie's located? We it's, could have, maybe uh, have somebody corner do a assignment uh, here. Page and Woodson okay. in Olivet, I believe. Good hot dogs, I assume. Fantastic. So they're big jumbo ones? Yeah, they're and I ate about six of them. So back in the uh, 80s, this is, uh, and people that are driving around will rem- remember this. The Cardinals were supposed to play in Pittsburgh, got rained out. And Jack and Mike, obviously, were going to do the game. You remember I, this? Yeah. So I think Rob I know Silverstein was yep. our executive producer, and we were just at the beginning. We didn't have great technology, but right at the beginning of cell phones. And... Bob Costas is having a dog over at Woofie's, and Rob Silverstein, our executive producer, calls him up. He said, hey, can you come in and do open line with Dan? We don't have a game tonight. And Bob says, well, I'm here at Woofie's enjoying a hot dog. Can you guys just have me on the phone? And Rob said, sure, fine. And Dan said, well, I want to go to Woofie's. So we wound up having a two-hour sports open line from Woofie's with Costas and Deardorf both on their cell phones. It was classic. It was and so you were there too. I or? was no. I, I produced the show back okay. at the station. Okay, uh, back back downtown at KMOX. But it was very very entertaining. Did they talk any sports or was it no? More it was only about hot, hot dogs. dogs. <laughs> and it, that spawned Bob doing NBC games at the time, doing the Friday Frank forecast. So from whatever stadium he was broadcasting the Saturday game from, he would be there for the Friday night game and he would call in on open line and rate the hot dogs at different major league ballparks. Nice. Yeah. Um, Tim McCarver would midway through games with me when we were doing games, always wanted a hot dog. <laughs> I've not put the mustard on it. He got to have <laughs> mustard on it. He wanted a he wanted a ballpark hot dog with mustard. That was his thing. That's beautiful. And he would just you know we could have a uh, a big moment in the game, and he'd come back down the the steps, and there'd be mustard on his shirt <laughs> on the side of his mouth. TV. Yeah, and uh, and he'd have his hot dog. But okay. that's a, he had to have it. He loved a ballpark hot dog. And he was at the ballpark last night. He and Ted Simmons, so back to back catchers. The '60s and the '70s basically covered behind the played for the Cardinals last night. Yeah, it was really cool. Uh, It's part of our speaker series that we put on. We haven't been able to do it for two years now because of the pandemic, but still uh, had a great crowd. Um, It's amazing. I'm I'm so happy for Ted to see just the amount of like warmth and, and love and affection that's going his way because, as we all know, that era... They were good teams, but they just didn't win. And now he's getting his due. He's got a number retired, a statue. He went into the Cardinals Hall of Fame. Now he's going into baseball's Hall of Fame. And he's kind of the guy from that era. And he's the face of it now and just mm-hmm. is so gracious about it. Um, not a, I, I'm getting goosebumps thinking about it. I, but I, I asked him last night, I, right off the bat, I said, how come you weren't bitter? You know, I mean, you, he was mm-hmm. second in runs batted in, second in hits among catchers. And off the ballot like that. Yeah. You know, and it's like, how does that happen? And it shouldn't have happened. And he's like, I'm not going to be bitter. He's like, I've had this great life. I'm, I came from you know, meager beginnings in Detroit, and here I am doing these things, and I'm not bitter one bit. And and now that I get the call, it's just amazing. Um, and then it was just, uh, for me, it was just special to be back with Tim. Yeah. I'll, I'll be honest great. with you. It was just, it was awesome. I, Saw him probably three or four times during the weekend, and uh, the lights went on last night, and it was like we we're back in the booth together. He was just fantastic, and we were just looking at it. Uh, Michelle looked it up. He's 
two months away from being 80 years old. Yep. And we forget about that, you know, mm-hmm. older gentleman. And, um, and he was just awesome. I mean, you had people that had come from all over the, literally the country to see these guys. So there was either a connection to Ted or to both, but, uh, Hey, I wanted to see Tim, you know, I'm here with my dad. And the the guy was, you know, 50 years old with his dad, who's mm. 75 or 80. And they, they drove here. There was people from Florida. We I think we had Oregon. We had New York. We had Iowa. We had Arkansas. We had obviously people from St. Louis, but all over the place to see these That's guys. That's awesome. That's great. And really, in, in the end of it, you know, I, I, as much as we're seeing the play on the field of this year's team and it's frustrating but that's really what this organization is about yeah you know what i mean it's just generational and it's it's just fun so one quick question for you about ted because uh, he has handled it it was such a plum and he we know everybody that watched him every day knows that he has been a hall of famer throughout if he is drafted by the Reds and plays for the Reds, the big red machine rather than Johnny Bench, or plays for the Yankees rather than Thurman Munson. Is he considered one of the all-time great catchers? Yeah. I think so, too. I do, too. Um, and, and Well, he even talked about that. He's like, you know, when I was doing my thing in the 70s, everybody was saying those two names. He brought it up. He goes, it was always Munson, 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 or, hey, you got to do this with Bench, or Bench has done this, but they were the big uh, red machine, mm-hmm. and so... You know, I'm kind of stuck just trying to do my thing and, and wasn't getting noticed. And I also think maybe the era, I don't know if you guys agree with this, but when you have social media and you have highlights that are going on all, all over the place, if he played in the era t- today, now, even if you were on a poor team, you're still getting seen. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know what I mean? You're still having your highlights all over the place and people would, would recognize how great you were. A big, well, I, 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 I won't say a big part of the reason, but uh, uh, the reason that people recognized Carlton Fisk is because of one home run in the 1975 World Series where he was waving it fair. If Ted Simmons has just that, yeah. just that one signature moment, and his put his numbers next to it, he he's in by the baseball writers. So what if he wins in '82? Absolutely. That's another one. Yep. If he wins in 82 and goes to the Brewers and turns around that franchise and gets them to their first World yeah. Series championship, absolutely. That's another thing. Yep. He, he addressed last night, um, because I, and you know this better than anybody, Randy, I mean, having been right in the middle of it and loved those teams like I did, but he addressed the trade last night and he said, you know, Whitey was honest with him. So he's, you know, he goes, make this clear. He said, I know a lot of people think like I don't get along with Whitey or I don't like Whitey or I'm paraphrasing, but Mm -hmm. we don't get along. He goes, I love Whitey. He said, Whitey was great. And he said, Whitey was honest with me in the fact that he wanted Daryl Porter to come in and they had Raleigh fingers. They had Vukovic and myself. He goes, I'm 10 and five. And he said, now, if you're truly going to trade us three, I know we can be a good team in Milwaukee. Like I, I know who they have. I know what we are. Um, but if you're just going to say, well, actually, Ted, sorry, it didn't work out that way, but you're going there because you wanted to get rid of me, I would have said no. But he said Whitey was honest with him, and mm-hmm. that's why he accepted the deal. And did he offer Ted? I, th- I thought he offered Ted the opportunity to play first base, and Hernandez was going to go to left. That happened, but it didn't work out. Right, it wasn't a pan. It didn't pan out, and it yeah. would have weakened the Cardinals at first, exactly, and in left. Yeah, and then you're going to have to take somebody out too. Yeah, late in games because you're going to bring Hernandez back in at first base. Right, but it, it was um, it was just great. It was great to Good. see, and you know, Ted is just. Uh, 
He's one cool dude, man. He he's great. Yeah. You do a great job with those. Congratulations yeah, on that. A lot of fun. And uh, we'll be tuned in tonight. Okay. We got... Uh, well, today, but tonight when you Flaherty. have the cards and... Flaherty going Flaherty on. against mm-hmm. Casey Mize from Auburn. Casey Mize from Auburn. Okay. Yep. All right. So now you know. Fight question. Oh, that, that was a question this it morning? Was, yeah. Okay. Flaherty from California, but didn't go to college. Right. Exactly. So Casey Mize went yeah. to Auburn. Who do we have coming up on the Danny Mac show? Uh, I believe it's Jim Leland. We've been trying to get oh, nice. Jim Leland. I think it'd be interesting to hear what he has to think about uh, Cabrera getting to 500 and his time facing uh, the Cardinals and working for the Cardinals. People right. don't realize he was a special assistant for a long time. I don't think, and you can ask him this, I don't think the Cardinals trade for Jim Edmonds unless Jim Leland tells them they need another outfielder. I didn't know in that. In 2000. Ask him about it. Ask him about okay. the trade and what his recommendation was to the Cardinals in that summer, that spring of 2000. So, correct me if I'm wrong. I know you guys got to go. Yeah. But when was, uh, what was Leland's last year in Colorado? He, he only had one year. Was 80, it? Uh, no, 97, no, no. 97. 97. Okay, so he was 96, 90, 90, no, 97 no, Marlins, 98 Rockies. He was only with the Rockies one right. year. Right, so, because they won a 97 with him, yeah. with the and, Marlins. And then he was gone that year. So the next year he was at 98 with the Rockies. Right. Okay, so the 99 he was done, which meant, yeah, he could have been with the Cardinals yeah. at that point. Okay, I'll ask him. All right. All right. Sounds good. Thank you, sir. Always good to see you. You too. Great job by our producer engineer, Emily Butcher. Thank you. Thank you. And Michelle, this was fun. We'll do it again tomorrow it on? Hump Day. Absolutely. I'll see you on hump day. You bet. For all of us, thanks for tuning in, texting, and being a part of the show till tomorrow morning at 7. Have a great day, St. Louis. You've been listening to the Character and Smallman podcast, powered by I Promise. Hi, this is Chris Howard, host of Plugged In with Chris Howard. The College Football Playoff Committee made their decision on Sunday, and as much as I loathe the idea of Ohio State losing their way into the College Football Playoff, I 100% agree with OSU making it in over Bama. Nick Saban citing some hypothetical point spreads to prove his point that the tie deserve a spot in the college football playoffs holds little substance when you consider Bama's best win is over Texas. No, the committee got it right. TCU had a great season with far more ranked wins than Bama and didn't deserve to lose their spot after playing a surging Kansas State in a championship game. And Ohio State, while not playing some of their best ball later in the season, was still 12-0 until they came face-to-face with my Wolverines. While the college football playoff system isn't nowhere near as good as it could be, it's better than what we had. And in a few years, it will be better for all of college football. Hi, this is Chris Howard, host of Plugged In with Chris Howard. Get the latest odds and trends for every professional and amateur league out there. From football to basketball to soccer and esports, we've got it all at BetOnline.net. And if you love sports podcasts, you can find those at BetOnline as well. And don't forget, BetOnline for the NHL, MMA, boxing, and golf. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more. BetOnline, where the game starts. Hey, hon, what you doing with your phone? Do flowers have best friends? I don't know. Hey, look. Whoa. Some answers can only be found in nature. Discover the unsearchable. Visit discovertheforest.org to find a trail near you. Brought to you by the United States Forest Service and the Ad Council.